the worst thing you can, I, I personally think you can ever say to an anxious person is just calm down. Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Delbout. This is a special episode. First of all, it's the season finale. I'm going to be taking a hiatus, leaving you for about four weeks to work on a big project. I'm going to come back, hopefully refreshed, definitely a year older. I have a birthday in there. Hopefully the weather breaks and it actually starts to feel like spring here in New York and wherever you are. And I'll be able to tell you about this new project that I've been working on since last April, so almost a year. But don't worry, no need to miss me yet because I'm going to be spending nearly three hours with you. (laughs) This is a very long episode but it's a perfect one to end the season on. I just listened back to it and it's a conversation with Serena Wolf that we recorded at her apartment in New York over smoothies on her white couch that I honestly was very afraid of spilling my smoothie on, but I didn't. We recorded this a couple months ago when I was having a really vulnerable time and I knew this conversation was really useful to me after I had it, but I forgot just how many watershed moments I had during this conversation until I listened back to it. And you get to hear this new friendship brewing between Serena and I, which is why it's so long, because it doesn't feel like a podcast interview at all. It's definitely a first friend date. And I keep the conversation, the episode going selfishly because it flows into a million directions because we connect over all sorts of things, which is why it just goes on and on, but in a good way, I think. I didn't want it to end and I don't think you will either. We cover anxiety at length. We get into her experience of it and what helps her, how to apply language to anxiety how to handle it in romantic relationships. We talk about panic attacks. I share my experience with anxiety and how it's impacted me and my relationships. I cry. There's this really tender moment. It's so sweet. And she gives me this big sisterly advice. It's worth sticking around just for that moment. It's maybe about an hour and a half in or two hours in. Anyway, this podcast isn't all heavy. We also talk about trends and honesty with vanity. We talk about family. There's a very insightful dialogue about social media. And since she studied sociology at Harvard, Harvard, yes, we also talk about herd mentality. And she explains that in this really interesting way. It's not all heavy. It really isn't. I swear it's weird. There's a lot of lightness to this conversation. Serena is actually one of the funniest people I've ever met. 
And we'd hung out before a handful of times. We have some mutual friends who have all actually been podcast guests, but Jessica Mernan is the one who introduced us originally. I'll link to her episodes and Phoebe Lapine and Lynn Chen. I think we maybe mentioned in this episode, so I'll link to them. And that brings me to another point. While I'm gone in the listener Facebook group every week, I'm going to put an episode from the archive that I think would be a good one for us to all listen to together. Because some of you guys might be new to the podcast from Serena, or maybe you're just finding it now or recently in the last couple of weeks, but I've been doing this since 2013. That's a really long time. So I have nearly 300 episodes. Like I'll hit 300 episodes this year, probably, which is crazy. And a lot of them are really great. <laughs> Hopefully all of them, most of them. Anyway, so I'm going to be putting in the listener Facebook group a new episode every week and make sure you're signed up for my let it out letter because I'll definitely be sending that in the interim. But I want to get to this conversation with Serena as quickly as possible. You'll hear us lay the groundwork for this real friendship that we have. And I'm happy to report we've kept it going. We've basically hung out every week since we recorded this. And I can promise you without a doubt, this will not be the last time you're hearing from her. I hope she does this podcast many, many times and that we collaborate a lot in the future. We didn't really even get into what she does and her work because we were just chatting so much. So I want to tell you right now, if you don't know Serena, she's a tremendous chef. She's cooked for me. I can attest to it. She's also a cookbook author and a great follow on social media. Instagram, especially for her stories. All right, let's get to this ASAP, but quickly, as Serena would say, a housekeeping item. If you want to start a podcast, I think you should. If you've ever been considering it, you should just do it, honestly. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life. Clearly, I use it to make new friends with the people who come on the podcast, with the people who listen to the podcast. That's my MO. And how, whatever you want to start a podcast for, I really think you should do it. Email me if you have any podcasting questions. And if you've been considering doing my podcasting workshop, Let a Podcast Out, you only have a few days to sign up. It's starting April 1st, and you can still get the discount using the code Let It Out at checkout just for podcast listeners. But if you've been considering it, do it. I don't know if or when I'm going to offer it again, but I would love to have you. And finally, if you're going to miss me in these next several weeks while I'm gone, lots of opportunities to hang out in person. I'm coming out of hibernation with so many events this April, weirdly. I have three in New York City and one in Austin, Texas. So if you're in Texas, I would love to meet you and hang out. If you're in New York, of course, I would love to meet you. Make sure you go to my events page. The link will be in the show notes for where and when all of those are. They're scattered throughout the month. Luckily, they're not all the same week. Anyway, let's get to my conversation with Serena. Thank you so much for listening. We talk at length about anxiety in this episode. And one thing that helps with my anxiety is CBD. CBD. 
So it's fitting that today's episode is brought to you in part by Cured Nutrition, a holistic supplement company based in Boulder, Colorado. And if you're keen on organic, hemp-derived CBD products, you're probably already familiar with them. Their full-spectrum nibbles, tinctures, and treats work with your body's natural system to produce clear benefits without the worry of the psychoactive component. Plus, there are not really many other companies out there that have a in-house farm-to-table business model. I got to meet the founders when I was in Boulder recently, and I loved them so much. The people making these products are genuinely wonderful people, which is really cool. CBD is most commonly incorporated into wellness regimens to improve sleep, decrease inflammation, and reduce the body's stress load. I really like it for anxiety. The CEO was using Cured's full-spectrum raw oil to help his puppy ease some distress. You can even use these products with your pets. Like I said, I love them, especially their cookie dough snack. I eat it very frequently and really enjoy that as well as their oils. I think you guys would really like it too. Check it out. If you want to get 15% off your order, use the code let it out at checkout. Again, that's 15% off your order. You just use the code let it out at checkout. Thank you so much cured for sponsoring this episode. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited. We've been talking about doing this for a long time. We like so many of the same things. All of the same things. It's actually quite terrifying. Yeah. You're, we've only hung out in person a couple times. Yes. That's going to change. 100%. <laughs> We're now going to be weird workout buddies. Yes. <laughs> it already has. We've already had a lovely morning together. We did. <laughs> we did Melissa Wood Health. If you have not tried Melissa, you know that I'm deeply obsessed with yeah. her. So. <laughs> we have a new friend. We do. Maybe next time we'll be t- keep talking with her. Yes. Yeah, anyway, the three of us hung out this morning. We're having our smoothie now. But when I met you in person, I just instantly liked you. Like, I just, we were connected through Jess Mernan and Phoebe and, and Phoebe, Lynn, yeah. maybe. I don't all, even know. Like, all of my favorite people. You know when you, like, yeah. meet somebody through people that you already love and you have, like, an implicit trust that, that you will also love that yeah. person? That is how I felt. I actually remember that day really well. We were... We met in Union Square. Yep. Lynn was in town. So these are all three previous podcast guests, Lynn and Phoebe. And, and then Jess. I didn't she know you. Yeah. You were the only one I didn't know. So I was like, you know how that, that kind of, I always feel a little bit, this is maybe, you know, mean, <laughs> but <laughs> when you're hanging out with people and you're like, oh, there's going to be one person there. I don't know. It's not yeah. like, sometimes it works out great. And other times it's just, it's, uh, you feel cozier when you know everyone. 100%. And then you were so great and cool. And instantly I was just like, oh, I want to be your friend. And I had just moved to New York. You had just moved. I remember that. And you were living. All I remember was that you had like a roommate that was an older woman. Still do. Need to find it. Yeah. Need to find a new apartment. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, but like, you are such a warm person. And I feel like I don't know, living in New York for as long as I have now, I feel like that is a rarity. And I used to be like, I'm from California. So I'm used to people sort of being sunny and bubbly, even if it's not genuine. I appreciate (laughs) that like immediate warmth. And then I moved to New York and like, I've been here for almost eight years and I feel like I've become very jaded and like nobody makes eye contact. And if somebody's being really nice to me, I'm like, 
are you messing with me? <laughs> Do you want something from me? <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, because when I moved here, people would point out that I was Midwestern all the time. They'd be like, you're from the Midwest. And I'd be like, is it? Is it my scrunchie? Like, what is it? <laughs> and I think, yeah, it, it's interesting. Like, people like that who are, I don't know, just maybe unable to be swayed. I don't know. We, we For whatever reason, we have this, like, warmth to us that maybe we gravitate towards each other. I think that's very true. I also feel like I have been so much happier since I've been like unapologetically Mm. warm and nice, which is something that like, I don't know, I felt sort of uncomfortable doing in New York for a long time. Like I feel like people, it's not their natural inclination to behave that way. And I feel so much happier when I'm just like overly enthusiastic and like yeah. loving towards people. Like you're, people. you're dulling yourself, it sounds like, if yeah. you're trying to stop that, which can't feel good. Yeah. Subconsciously. Or, yeah. Well, anyway, I met you that day and just instantly liked you. <laughs> and ever since then, I knew this would happen. It's been a long but time I was in the making. But I never so. rushing it. Like, I just was like, yeah, Serena's going to do the podcast today. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I don't even have to ask. Like, it just And now like, we're curled up on my couch yeah. doing it and it feels right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you're from California. I am. What were you like as a kid? Where did you grow up? What did you want to be when you grew up? I was born in LA. Both my parents are from the East Coast, which I feel like is an important thing to note when you grow up in California because there are the native Californian families who have always, always, always been there. And then my parent, my dad's from New York. My mom grew up outside of Baltimore. They both met in LA. They, you know, got married. I have, they had my older sister. And then I, when I was born, we lived there until I was like almost nine. And then we moved to Santa Barbara. And I was, I'm a like quintessential middle child. I don't believe in a lot of like, I'm not really an astrology person or I, but I do think that birth order is so telling. It's It's funny, Phoebe and I talked about this a lot in the back because we were both only children. Ah, yeah. yeah. And I think that being a middle child, my brother is six years younger and he is like the quintessential youngest child. He's so funny and sweet and like, a little bit selfish. <laughs> you can't sort of stay mad. He's somebody like you can't stay mad at. My sister is like, again, like a very quintessential older, like oldest child. And I was always a peacemaker, but like fiercely independent. And it was, I've always been like psychotically academic, which I think surprises a lot of people because I am extremely type A, but give off very strong type B vibes. (laughs) So I think growing up, I always sort of was equal parts studious, but also I don't know how to like really phrase it. Fun. Yes. Yeah. Chill. Like I, I was never, my friends were never the other studious kids. Okay. In the sense that like I was not in like a a brainiac circle Mm -hmm. of friends and for whatever reason, that always worked really well for me. Balanced you. Yeah. But I mean, even even now as an adult, I enjoy so many, you know, quote unquote intellectual things. But like I will always choose Us Weekly. Like, totally. Just- <laughs> I love that about you so much. But I think, you know, 
growing up, I was also, my parents got divorced when I was 15. Oh, wow. That's an interesting age. And which was a very tough age. <laughs> but I also went to boarding school. And I think that's a product of my parents both being from the East Coast. They both went to boarding school. And growing up in California, that was very strange because a lot of kids in California do not go to boarding school, whereas it's much more common on the East Coast. And so most of my friends didn't understand that like I wanted to go to boarding school. And I had gone to see these places and like spent a lot of time on my applications, you know, and they were like, oh my God, what did you do? They thought I was essentially being shipped off to military school. So this is for high school? For high school. Okay. So I was, you know, in Santa Barbara, then moved to, well, didn't move, but went to boarding school in Connecticut when I was 14. Loved it. But again, fiercely independent child. So loved living away from home. And your siblings did that as well? My older sister did for a bit. She has a lot of a laundry list of health issues and ended up coming home because she was not well at boarding school. But my younger brother also went to boarding school and I really thrived there. I loved living away from home. It is kind of like camp. You know, you live with all of your friends. It's definitely not for everyone. And it's, you miss out on a lot of the I guess, more traditional high school experiences. So I didn't learn to drive until I went to college because I had no you know, occasion to drive and yeah. I had no reason to. There were no parties really. Like you would leave on a weekend and go to somebody's house and party, but it wasn't the same as, you know, like you would never go to a party on a weeknight and you right. never really had the freedom to do a lot of things. Like you have dinner at school and then you go to study hall. <laughs> Like, you know, you're allowed to have boys in your room for 45 minutes, you know, like all of these weird things that are so different than the traditional high school experience. But I loved them. And I think I was somebody who never really knew what they wanted to do. And I think that that probably caused latent anxiety that I didn't recognize as anxiety. But I never really had anything beyond... I remember saying to my mom once in high school, I was like, I have no clue what I want to do. I just want to like wear really nice suits and have a lot of male assistants. <laughs> I don't know why that was exactly what I latched onto, but I really do think I, o- I always pictured myself in the corporate world, mm. which is hilarious. It's so funny. And so now I cannot picture myself like that at all. But I think my personality is very well suited. I, I think I would have done really well climbing a corporate ladder. Yeah, you would have gotten up to do those. But I just six a.m. workout six classes. A, yes, exactly. <laughs> but I, but I just, I somehow had a complete life shift post college and never, never went that route. So yeah. I feel like that's like a sliding doors scenario where that could have been yeah. my life. Where do you think you? got that from? Are your parents in the corporate world? What brought them from the East Coast to the West Coast? No, my dad that works in entertainment. So like everything's in LA. So that just made sense. My mom is sort of one of those brilliant people that had a bunch of different jobs and then stayed home with us and was, you know, very instrumental in my dad's career as well. They're both sort of creative thinkers. Like, I have no concept of why I think I wanted or thought that I would end up in the corporate sphere, other than the fact that now being so much more self aware and having a decade of therapy under my belt, you know, I think that 
I really thrive on structure and the the concept that I've ended up in a completely unstructured life still baffles me on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think that's probably why I was drawn to it is like, it was a very clear roadmap to quote unquote success. Like you start at the bottom, you work your way to the top Mm -hmm. and then like you're at the top and, and that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Was your parents divorce hard on you? Yes. And I think that I didn't realize how hard it was on me until years and years later. And I think that I really just pushed all of my anger and disappointment and like insecurities down like during that time period because I also I'm very grateful that I was not at home during that time because I think that that would have made things so much more difficult. But I really just tried to be like, this doesn't affect me. Like, I don't live there. This is not, you know, I I was never somebody, what's the the party line is, you know, like, this isn't your fault. Like, I was like, of course it's not my fault. Like, why would this be my fault? (laughs) But I think that with any divorce, it's really hard to not take sides. Mm -hmm. And that I think was something that I really struggled with because I think I just blamed my dad and that was, and there were so many reasons for that, but I think that I didn't even realize that I was doing it. And I was just like, this was his fault. And so I held on to a lot of that anger until like I started going to therapy Mm. really. And like, I don't think I manifested itself openly. I just think that I was unable to fully live my life while I was holding on to that. And I also think I had a high school boyfriend that I dated through my freshman year of college. And like looking back, all of these things in my life were consequences, so to speak, of my parents' divorce. Like I think you're drawn to certain people during certain times in your life. And I think in that relationship, that was like also an escape for me. So I like sort of threw myself wholly into that to like avoid dealing with yeah, <laughs> it is really in my situation. I was a bit younger when we had the divorce <laughs> in this family, but it was it complicated in the sense of, you know, there, for me, there was a lot of like one bad mouths the other and then the other and you're in the middle of it. And it's good that you were away. But how do you feel like it affected your relationship with each of your parents? And what is your relationship with them like now? I think for me. I really shut my dad out for a bit. I did the exact same thing. And I don't think it was really either of my parents bad-mouthing the other so much as like I just knew that they were, especially my mom. And it could have just been because I was around her, you know, but like when you see a parent hurting, it's the same as like when you see your parents cry. I mean, to be fair, my mom cries like every commercial. And like those, <laughs> but when you see them like really yeah. cry. It's like seeing your own blood. It's, it's very scary. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. And you're like, I don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure I'm equipped to like deal with this. It's different from seeing anyone else cry. Because yeah. you're like, you're the person subconsciously, even as adult, that is supposed to have it together to take care of me. And you're you're unraveling yeah and it feels uncomfortable (laughs) and like I don't know yeah I don't know if you felt like this but I just feel like it's really hard for people to maintain an equal amount of closeness with both parents like I just feel like that's so rare and the crazy thing is that I feel like 
a shocking number of my friends, their parents are still together, which I love so much. But the friends that I have whose parents are divorced, like it's not necessarily a huge favoritism that they display, but like there is always one parent that you're a little bit closer with. And I feel like my mom is... My mom and I are very similar and we have the exact same sense of humor, which I also think is very important. And it just makes me feel very connected to her. And she's just, she's somebody who's been through a lot and I just have so much respect for her. I feel, you know, I love, and I love my dad so much too. And I have a different sort of respect for him. And he's somebody who... I don't know if I think so much of him anymore as like my dad. I think we've like developed a friendship that is very good, but he's, and like he openly admits this. Like, I don't think parenting comes as naturally to him as it does to my mom. So it's easier for us to be friends and it's easier for my mom and I to have like a traditional parent child relationship. And like my dad is somebody like, I don't like to fight with my dad. I don't see the point. It's like how I, I avoid confrontation with my friends too. Not to a point that it's unhealthy, just like sometimes like if I want to fight with somebody, I will like call and fight with my mom just because I'm like, we're both going to forget about this tomorrow and go back to, you know, our our normal relationship. I found that too with my relationship with my dad of like, as an adult, I can look at this person of like, it doesn't really matter what happened in your marriage 20 years ago. Exactly. I, you're, now you're just this this person who's in my life who I have a lot in common with and other things yeah. that I don't. That is my relationship with him is totally different as an adult. And having an adult relationship with parents is just different in general. 100%. What sort of family traditions do you have? What's your greatest lesson on family? <sighs> I think sometimes I, when I look back at my childhood, I think that we had some, my mom really put so much effort into holidays. And I think that that's something that I've held on to. And people can say what they want about, you know, this is a perfect example. I love Valentine's Day. Like, love it. And I know that everyone thinks it's a consumerist Hallmark holiday. It's not a real thing, whatever. But my mom growing up made every holiday Mm. like a family thing. So for me, Valentine's Day wasn't like I need to be in a relationship or I want my boyfriend to get me flowers and candy. It was like we came home from school and my mom would do a Valentine's Day tea for the three of us. Oh, my God. It was like such an exciting thing. And like I never really associated Valentine's Day with like romance. It was just like a fun family holiday you know so like I have a lot of things like Christmas like she always and she always went psychotically over the top and like I just I love that she went out of her way to and it wasn't like about the presents or like anything else it's like that she went out of her way to make it so special for us it's like we always read the night before Christmas on Christmas Eve and just did stuff like that that I think made me have such good memories of those days and our birthdays too. The concept, it cracks me up. I've been in New York. My mom lives in New York now. I don't think I've ever had a birthday aside from, I've never had a birthday where I was in the same place as my mom. So excluding boarding school and college, 
that I haven't spent it with her. So like on my birthday, my mom and Logan, my husband and I like go to dinner. Like she's always there on my birthday because I feel like it's as important to her as it is to me. And like, that makes me feel really good. Okay. Couple of things. First of all, I relate to that so much because my mom too with holidays and especially birthdays and some families birthdays like I was in a relationship where birthdays were with his family, just not a thing and didn't really yeah. care about birthdays. And his thing to do on his birthday was be by himself and spend a movie. And I like am over the top, like it's your birthday. <laughs> like, and it's just how I am. And it, I, it's interesting how, you know, we all celebrate in, in different ways, but I relate to that a lot. And also I'm curious and I know a lot of people listening will be curious about this and are like cosmically profiling you. So what is your <laughs> sign? I'm an Aries. Okay. So I don't really know that much I'm t- about it. I don't, but. I don't either, except that we're very independent and stubborn. But I'm also a cusp. That's baby. what they say about like tourists too. Sometimes I always read these and I'm, yeah, like, and I'm like, are we all the same? And I'm somebody that like will read my horoscope semi-regularly. And if it's good, I'm like, Yes, this is true. And if it's bad, I'm like, horoscopes aren't real. <laughs> Good for you. Cause I'm like the, I mean, I'm so malleable. Like you could tell me anything. And I'm like, oh, I'm in. I'm in the, you know, I have to really check myself or I'm just going to like exclusively be <laughs> drinking celery juice and like talking about my, you know, astrology all day. Cause I just, it, stuff goes in so easily for yeah. you. And I feel like you have a really good barometer of like, no, it wasn't my fault. And <laughs> no, your, your marriage ending wasn't. And this I is I feel like not- that's come to me though over the years. And now I'm able to articulate it in mm-hmm. a way that I think I felt very, I don't know how to put this in a way that makes the most sense, but like, I feel like I've always had imposter syndrome in a very strange way because like I said, I think that my type A-ness doesn't seem to fit with my personality. Like it, it, it's who I, it's who I am, but like, I don't actually feel connected to that in a strange way. But for like, I went to Harvard and that was I'm saying this for context, but it's something that like I also like never say because either people are like, oh my God, or they think that like I'm being a snob by dropping it into the conversation. But like I had imposter syndrome while I was there because I was like, oh, I don't deserve to be here, which now years and years later, I can be like, I did. I did the work. I got in. So like yeah. I deserve to be there as much as anybody else. But while I was there, I was like, oh, people probably think that I shouldn't be here. Like the number of people that were like, oh, are you an athlete? Like when I would meet them at parties and stuff. And I was like, but the weird thing was like, I always, it was insulting, but I'm like, I I don't know. First of all, thank you for thinking I'm athletic. (laughs) Like, hmm. I was like, I literally don't know the rules to any sports. (laughs) But I don't know. Like there was something about that, that yes, it's surface level insulting, but I was also like, maybe you meant it as a compliment Mm -hmm. because I mean, There are also a lot of Harvard students whose social skills are questionable, but I had imposter syndrome there. And then I went to culinary school and I was like, I definitely had imposter syndrome there because everybody else had always wanted to go to culinary school or had prior cooking experience. And I was like, you know, like cutting and burning myself and being like, what's happening? And I don't, I shouldn't be here and I'm just wasting time, whatever, whatever. And then I came home and I, Basically, ever since 
I graduated from culinary school. So I don't know, seven plus years ago, every single job I've had basically like as a private chef, I was like, I'm not qualified to be doing this. Like I'm like showing up to work pretending to be a chef or, you know, I got my first cookbook deal and I was like, I'm not qualified to write a cookbook. And like only in the past, I think, year have I started to settle into like my career and who I am and like let go of the myriad insecurities that like I've somehow just been like adding to my anxiety backpack for the past decade. I'm like, you're not qualified to do this. You're not what people expect you to be in these various roles. And I think for a long time, I was like, you're not a writer. You're not this. You're not that. And I was just playing dress up in all of these roles until I figured out what I actually wanted to do with my life. And now like, I'm like, you're doing it. You just need to like let go of all of these expectations of other people's judgments. Like I always assume everyone's judging me, which they're not. They're judging themselves. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So like that's something I've only really come around to in like the past year or so. First of all, that's great. How did you do that? I think for, I mean, first of all, like love me some therapy, but I also just think I've been conscious of, first of all, there's like a couple things that I've been doing that I only really started vocalizing even in the past two months, but I've been doing them myself for a while now. These small things that whenever I'm feeling insecure, like thinking about why I'm actually feeling insecure has doing that actual work has been huge for me. Like a big part of, I think last year, some sources of anxiety and personal insecurity and like unhappiness stemmed from living so much of my life online. Mm. I had started spending so much time on Instagram, for example, for work, which I really enjoy. Like I love Insta stories. I think that as far as platforms go it's allowed me to like actually be myself online whereas like I'm not somebody who writes really long Instagram captions or is able to bear their soul in that way and I've been blogging forever which allows a a huge storytelling element and I love that but like Insta stories like allow me to just be me yeah and like I feel no anxiety posting an Insta story Yet when I post something into the feed, it's like this thing and the, the how it looks in the grid and it's just this whole thing. And I think some of us are, I'm having an aha moment of like, maybe I just lean into that. Like Busy Phillips, you know, like yes. I love her stories. I love your stories. It's just, yeah. Anyway, no, it's but an you're inter- right. some it's platforms a- are better for other people. And we can invest as much time as we want in either category. But I also realized that like I was following a lot of people that I think in certain cases I had met, you know, like over the years and, and started following or I had been, I had found them somehow on Instagram or they were like in my same space and they just didn't make me feel good. And like, I don't know how to like say this in a nice way because, but like, I just didn't like them. And I was like, it is my choice to be following these people. And I should be more choosy about it. And like, I should make, you know, given that I 
quote unquote, have to spend so much time online for work purposes, I can curate a feel-good feed for myself that every time I see a picture, I only feel positive emotions. So like basically like I don't follow very many people at all. I follow like a handful of people and I'd say 90% of my feed is like very close friends and puppies. <laughs> and you can mute people too. And you can mute That's people. So like I've got insensitive. So like I went through the beginning of January and like unfollowed any remaining like stragglers that I was like, this is not a good feeling for me. And a lot of times I, and I want to take responsibility for like a lot of times it has nothing to do with that person or that it's, Mm -hmm. it's that it's speaking to something in me that I either don't like about myself or it's feeding into the comparison game or making me feel some sort of jealousy Mm -hmm. because like sometimes I'll see somebody doing something and I'm like why do I feel icky about this I'm like oh I'm just jealous and that's okay like it's okay to feel like I'm really somebody who I don't like when people just say like don't do that or you shouldn't do that that doesn't help me in any way like maybe I shouldn't or but like I can't just turn off control it feelings right yeah so like it's okay to feel jealous it's okay to compare yourself it's okay to do all of these things but like it is also a lot easier for yourself when you just remove yourself from those scenarios and I think that the people that I follow that I love including like you and Jess and Phoebe and people when I see something really good happen for them I feel a literal stab of joy where I'm like I'm so proud of them or I'm so happy for them it like makes me want to cry <laughs> about it but like you genuinely and Phoebe Lapine actually like years ago shared an article with me called Shine Theory have you ever yes, read that? Yes. and I love it so much and I think that it's hard to apply that And I think it's unrealistic for people to expect that we apply that to everyone in the Mm -hmm. world. I think it's okay to like have a circle of people that you truly love that you choose to feel excited for. I think it's really difficult and, and inhuman to be able to spread your like love and excitement and enthusiasm to every person that you've ever come in contact with. Yeah. I think Aminatu So and Ann Friedman who wrote that article, I would love their thoughts on this. But I feel like Shine Theory is for friends. It's not for people who you don't know that well or you just like met one time at a party and competitor. And it's ideally, yes, in a a utopia maybe, but we don't live there. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And being able to sort of tune out the negative noise on social media has helped me feel a little bit more secure because I also think I read this article and I, I will find it for you, Mm -hmm. but it was fascinating to me. And it was about our, the happiness levels of each generation and how our grandparents' generation. How it's plummeting. (laughs) Is that what it is? (laughs) No, but yeah, like each generation, it becomes less and less happy because we are more aware of our extended social circles happiness. Mm -hmm. So like our grandparents, if they lived, you know, in their town, they were only aware of the successes of people within their town. And our parents were mm, like marginally more aware given, you know, TV and things like that. But like we now are able, like I know what 
the girl that I went to kindergarten with in LA and I have not seen in 20 plus years, I know that she just got promoted and she's like now in X position. And we now see that third tier acquaintances Mm -hmm. have two beautiful babies and are on vacation in Thailand, you know, like whatever it is, it's just, there's so many more people that we're able to compare our own happiness to. And that diminishes our happiness. So, and I wonder more options too. You have more options now than ever before. And I feel like that has to contribute to happiness. And I think that 100% and I, but don't you also think, I don't know, this is a very contentious thing. So you may completely disagree Mm -hmm. with me, but I think that the emphasis these days on you have to follow your passion and your job should be the thing that you're most passionate Mm -hmm. about and your true calling, et cetera, et cetera. That puts so much stress on all of us. Like I am a multi-passionate person. I do not have one passion. Currently I am mostly a, a chef, but I also do lots of other things, but I feel like this is just the time period in my life where food is my main focus. Mm -hmm. And like, I hope to spend many different periods of my life with different, with a different focus. And I think that it can be maddening for some of us to wake up every day being like, is this my calling? (laughs) There's so much language around that on the internet and which makes sense because it's a thing people want to capitalize on. And I know the grass can always be greener if you're doing something totally unrelated to something that you like. But honestly, now that I'm, you know, in a place where I'm going to be trying to make money doing something I also enjoy, there's part of me that's kind of like, you know, it's nice to not have to put the pressure on your work or your creative passion or what you're interested in today to do anything for you financially or get any notoriety out of it at all. It, people have hobbies for a reason. And exactly. constantly trying to life optimize, I think, is damaging for our happiness in general. 100%. And we live in a city that it's honestly like... New York, I I often question is like, is it a bad boyfriend for me? Because like, (laughs) I love it, but is it hurting me? Of like, just, I'm not going to have pizza. I'm going to have the best pizza when I have pizza, or I'm not going to just have this. I'm, you know, there's so many options here where it's like, like you were saying, with a small town, there's less. And just with our global world, it's like, I know what this person's having for breakfast in a different (laughs) continent than I do. So mine is not good enough now where before I just didn't know that. And so I think all of those things together create this cocktail of comparison and lead to unhappiness and discomfort. And we have to like make our world smaller again. 100%. How do you do that? What are your boundaries, other boundaries with your phone other than just unfollowing people do you have any i have my phone or my social media boundaries Mm -hmm. so to speak i didn't even realize what they were until i asked my community on instagram what do you want to see more of and there were basically three main things one what do you eat in the day i'm like that's never happening great thank you never gonna happen Another way to compare and yeah, another way to compare and also like all of us are so different and like what works for me is not going to work for Sally. It's not going to work for Tom. Like it's it's just it's yeah, and like I'm just somebody who I don't subscribe to any sort of diet, 
But I have the utmost respect for people who do. I have friends who are paleo, who are vegan, who, you know, like, and like the great thing about my community is like, people are watching me make a dude diet steak dinner and like they're vegetarians and like they're just there to hang out. And like, I just like, I don't judge anybody's eating habits. I realize it's unrealistic to hope that people won't judge mine, but they will. I'm like, I just don't want to open myself up to that. And I also don't want to create, like, there's no way in my mind, anybody who's sharing what they ate in the day, that that's what they eat every single day. Because first of all, none of us eat exactly the same thing every day. But also when you're conscious of documenting it, when you're like, I think I made you to like spoonful of almond butter. I'm going to have three Sour Patch Kids. Like you're not going to document that. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, you know, for someone who's like malleable, like me, like I, when I was really in it with all of my food stuff, I would look at the next diet book or what's And it was such a trend actually in like this like 2012 blog world to like do those. Yes. Eat your things in a day. And I was just like, okay, well, I admire this person. She has a boyfriend who looks cool, has a job that she likes. She's really pretty. I just want to be like her. And I have so much fear around food and my body and I'm a disordered eater. I'll just do what she does. And then I'll have a life like her. (laughs) Then I'll have a body like her. Then everything will be perfect. I totally get that. And I want to come back to that in one second because I have like a tangent about skincare that cracks me up and makes me think of the same thing. But in addition to what I eat in the day, it's home tour. And I didn't realize that like I didn't feel comfortable with that until so many people asked me if they could have a home tour. And the crazy thing is that it's not that I want to like hide anything or that I'm I'm trying to be secretive in some way. You live in a you live in a shoe. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it's the concept that I I'm so hyper conscious that I've chosen to share a portion of my life online, which I think a lot of people assume is a much larger portion of my life than it actually is. But the people in my life did not choose that. So like, this isn't my apartment. It's mine and Logan's apartment. And like, I don't think the crazy thing is that Logan is like the most disgustingly wonderful human. So like, he would be like, Oh, like you want to do a home tour? Like, let me like clean up the bathroom. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like it's like, Not that he would say no, but it's just like we made this space our own. And like I have no problem being like wandering around my kitchen or like I sit on the same stool every day when I do Insta stories. And like, you know, this like we're sitting on the couch right now, like this common area. I don't feel weird about sharing, but like I do feel strange about like sharing my bedroom or like. And your whole apartment opens you up for opinions yeah. and thoughts that you don't need. It's not, it has nothing to do with your work. And it would just, it would feel to me like it's puncturing something that is a shell to protect you, especially in New York. It's like, it's kind of the circuit we can plug into and plug out of. And this is like your space and to invite people and you're already inviting people in so much. It makes so much sense to me. And that, so like that, you know, what I eat in a day, home tour. And then the last thing is like, people want more of Logan. I get that because like I said, he's disgustingly wonderful. I'm like hilarious. And the crazy thing is like, he inspired the dude diet. I've now like written two books that were literally inspired by him. And he finds 
them hilarious, which I'm sure that there would be less secure guys out there who would not be okay with their wife, you know, making jokes at their expense in in print (laughs) (laughs) and like telling, you know, stories about their eating habits. But he just has he is so self-deprecating and has such a good sense of humor about his own quote unquote lifestyle choices that like he loves it. But I think that he makes the occasional cameo and like loves it. But like, I don't feel comfortable. Like I do monthly Q and A's and I talk about everything and I love them. And it like makes me happy to be able to just share random shit about my life. Sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like I've been so good about swearing. But like, more get please. through all of go through all of these things that are deeply personal but i don't really feel comfortable sharing a lot about our relationship just because like i said he's not going to be there to like approve everything i say and that sounds weird to be like he has to approve it but like it's our shared life together mm-hmm. and i don't feel like he signed up to have our sex life discussed or have even when people ask about what I've learned in you know my first year of marriage or whatever first of all again talk about imposter syndrome I don't know like Logan and I have been living together at this point for eight years like we got married he's my person I love being married but I also think that like in my mind like we were married before we got married so like I don't feel like I have things to teach people about marriage. And I'm also mm-hmm. like, just like food, every marriage is different. Like there's yeah. no way what works in my marriage is going to work in all marriages. And I think that those three major things, like my home, my relationship, and my like day-to-day eating habits are the like boundaries that I've placed for myself on social media. And it gives me, I feel kind of, like, it feels weird to say it, but, like, I feel kind of proud that mm-hmm. I've been able to, like, maintain that. And I also never talk about my family. Like, I just talked to you, I think, Exclusive. more about <laughs> my family than I have to anyone ever. I never mention them on my blog outside of being, like, we once went on a family trip. Like, you know, like, I don't discuss their lives. I don't talk about any of that because they didn't sign up for that. And I realized that, like, also certain things could be misconstrued and they could be like, I don't like that you said that about me online or whatever. Like, I just don't want to put myself or them in that potentially, you know, confrontational scenario. Like I said, I hate confrontation. So yeah, like those are sort of boundaries that I place for myself. And I also think that what's crazy and you, I imagine you must experience this on some level. You share a lot of your life and like this podcast is so personal Mm. But it's also such a small portion of your your overall life. So, like, if somebody opens my Insta stories and like, oh my god, there's 30 Insta stories in here. Like, those are 15 seconds. So, like, that's six and a half minutes of the 17 and a half hours I was awake today. Yeah. So, like, that's a crazy. It's like this expectation that people know everything about you yeah. when. I f- and and sometimes that imbalance I think creates a little bit of like ennui for me. Like yeah. I'm just like you think you know me and you and and you do like you're this is this is me, mm-hmm. but you don't know 
everything about me. Right. It's not a documentary. Yes. It's a reality show. <laughs> 100%. And for me, it's the best parts of me. You know, like this is, I'm not really showing when I'm on the floor crying or when I'm like super, super anxious. Like that's not when I pull out my telephone. It's the, you know, and sometimes I, I share about ups and downs because that's what, that's all I've got. You know, I'm not really someone who's able to keep it together all the yeah. time, but it's just a portion of it. And it's probably the better portions that you're seeing from everyone. I mean, everyone says that now. Uh, no, it's true. And I also think that for me, I am somebody who I think that at my core, I am a happy person. And and that's not a like, that's no better or worse than somebody. I think at our cores, we can be different types of yeah, people. Yeah, we have a different threshold. For for, yeah, that. and like, I think my baseline is happy. And that's why it's been, for me, struggling with anxiety for the past decade has been very strange for me because it's sort of like disrupted my baseline happiness. Mm -hmm. But the reason like when I'm, you know, online or I'm writing or whatever, I actually do talk about a lot of my lows as they relate to anxiety. But I find that like, if I don't feel good, I'm not really doing my job, which is, well, first of all, this is a self- self you know proclaimed job description but like there are so many aspects like i do food my hope is that it will inspire people to have a little bit more fun in the kitchen feel a little bit less restricted and regimented and like make it less of a chore and more yeah. of an activity but when it, and like when it comes to wellness i'm like i want people to like feel happy in their like that is the goal of being well is mm -hmm. like to be physically well but also feel good and I think when I'm feeling terrible, I'm just somebody that I don't come online to be like, hi, I'm feeling terrible. Yeah. I will reflect on it after, but I don't feel like I'm serving anyone exactly. by coming on and being like, hey, you guys, yeah. it's a really bad day today. And like, it's okay for me to come. Like, sometimes I'll come on and be like, hey, I'm feeling really anxious today. So I'm going to like not be like I'm doing this or this is like what I'm working on. Maybe I'll be around. Maybe I won't, you know, yeah. like, and that's fine. But like, I don't think it serves me to, I do my biggest personal boundary. Another one on social media is like, I never come on social media to bitch. I just mm -hmm. don't, I don't see the point. I don't see it's not it. Therapy. Doesn't, it's not therapy. Yeah. It's not productive for me. And I also don't think it's, I think some could argue, well, that would be really relatable because we all have bad days. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't need me for that. And it's the same way. <laughs> like we're going on so many tangents. So I, right. <laughs> I could like talk to you about Let it out. Like, literally anything now, but it's the same way I feel or like around the recent elections. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk about voting. I was just like, literally every single person in my feed is talking about voting. You don't need that for me. You can watch everybody else tell you to vote and then I'll help you make dinner. Or I'll tell you like, you stress about voting. Like here's a great serum for your face. Like, yeah. like, like this is, and like I got a bunch of DMs of people being like, did you vote with like 800 question marks? I was like, and they're like, you should be using your platform to inspire people to vote. I'm like, I am not everything to everyone and none of us are. And I think it's almost, again, with boundaries, it's like, there are so many things that I feel passionate about that I'm like, I do not want to dilute my overall message of like feeling good. Mm -hmm. I can't, <laughs> like we would all go crazy. I'd have to be online all day being like, 
this is how I feel about gun violence this week. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like, and it's not like, fair. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, you know, I was like, you, like, if you want a political rundown, then I imagine you're already following plenty of social and political activists and you don't need your weird blog lady who like helps you make dinner and like talks about skincare to like tell you to go out and vote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, if you do one thing, then you have to comment on all of the issues. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, that's not what, that's not what I do here. Yeah. I follow that myself. You have to trust me that I, that you like me for a reason for my content and trust that if you like me as a person as well, then I'm probably voting and I probably feel similar to you (laughs) on some social issues. Exactly. but I'm just not going to be talking about every single social issue because, and then that would be my platform. Yes. There's only so many hours in a day there. You mentioned I want to talk about anxiety, but let's go back a bit to therapy. And you mentioned that you started therapy somewhat young. What was it around your parents' I started divorce? In, no, I started going. Actually, that's not true. I did go to see a therapist like right during my parents' divorce. Mm-hmm. And I just like really didn't like her. And I always tell people that therapy is like dating. Like you, yeah. you're not a good match with every therapist. And like, I was too young at that point for <laughs> for my parents to be shopping me around to like 20 different therapists until I found my perfect match. But I let it out to her for the, you know, whatever, six months during my parents' divorce. But then I started seeing a therapist my sophomore year of college. And I still see the same therapist. <laughs> He's like my wow. therapy soulmate. So is he in Boston? He's in Boston. We Skype. Wow. Um, and I feel like for me, it's also great to like, it just have somebody who knows like literally yes. everything about me. And it's also so helpful to talk to somebody who has like a decade's worth of perspective on my life. And sometimes he'll point out things that I just like haven't thought about. Like he'll be Mm -hmm. like, do you remember when you used to say that like before I graduated from college, I used to be like, what am I going to do? I'm not a creative. So I have to go into like whatever. And he was like, do you remember when you used to say that? Like that's, and I'd be like, no, I forgot that portion of my life. But he's like, you're like completely different person today and like he'll reflect to you your growth yes and like it's a crazy and like I was somebody who was never gonna get married and like I remember him being (laughs) like so thrilled for me Mm. when he was like oh my god you're getting married remember when you said you would never get married (laughs) and like it's a very I think for me did he come to your wedding no (laughs) no no like that his therapy style, like people always ask if I do like cognitive behavioral therapy because I have anxiety. No, like I just do straight up old school talk therapy. He is an anxiety specialist, mm. which has been very helpful for me. But for the most part, and like he is a psychiatrist, not a so like I am not on medication currently, but like if I needed it, mm-hmm. he would be able to prescribe it. But his style of therapy is like very interactive, and that is so great for me because I can't, I'm not somebody who could like talk about things and then be like, somebody asked me, how does that make you feel? Like that would drive me insane. And sometimes he talks for most of the session. Like sometimes I'll just be like, I can't, like, I don't have anything I want to talk about like right now. 
And so he'll talk about things that like we've been talking about recently and I'll like chime in and it's very, it's very helpful to have that sort of back and forth. And like, it's hilarious because like I was talking to one of my best friends about this and she was like, I would literally not pay for that. Like therapy is my time to speak uninterrupted. Uh, (laughs) So interesting. I like to have the option. Yeah. 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 What was the impotence your sophomore year to? I think I was feeling, I think I was feeling really out of control. I had, I did not have my first panic attack until the week of my graduation from college. So like I did not, or like any anxiety, like I did not experience anxiety until I graduated from college. So there were those two and a half years in the interim that I was in therapy where I was not remotely anxious. I just like felt like my life was out of control. And I had, I only realized when I started having anxiety that like school for the past, from the time I was basically in first grade until I graduated from college, I had always been able to channel the anxiety that I assume has always been like inside of me into academics. And so like having that constant structure and stress and then relief really worked for me. And I started going to therapy, I think, because I was feeling, I think a lot of the anger from my parents' divorce had like started to bubble up and I felt angry and lonely and I felt like nobody really understood me. And I was too sort of (laughs) annoyed with my parents to like let them understand me. So I needed like an outside person to help me sort through like why I was feeling all of these things that in theory, I was like, why do I feel like this? Like my parents got divorced five years ago. Like it's not the divorce. Like I'm and like, of course it was (laughs) just like all of these things that I couldn't get a handle on or understand why I was feeling. I knew deep down that like I needed somebody to help me figure out like why I was feeling like this all the time. And really, I cannot say enough about how wonderful therapy has been in my life. What is the greatest insight that he's given you or something that you take away from back then or recently? I think, oh my God, (laughs) so many. But I think that Something that has resonated recently with me really strongly is he had said to me, he was like, I genuinely think that the thread that ties most successful, happy people to like together is an existential confidence. And you've been struggling with like, for example, if you look at somebody like, you know, Beyonce or whatever, like she actually created Sasha Fierce as like a stage you know, alter ego that has no fear, but it's the concept of like, you have to believe that it's like manifestation. It's like, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe you are worthy. Like, I don't think until like so many doors have opened for me in the past six months. And I genuinely think it's because like we talked about earlier, I am only beginning to let go of like all of my imposter syndrome feelings like I am genuinely now like I'm like okay like I went to culinary school I've written two cookbooks like 
I am a qualified, I'm qualified to talk about food. Mm. Like I feel genuinely qualified to be doing this now. Do you think that's because you've come to a age and a spot in your career where you're, you can say that you've done the two cookbooks and it, or do you think it's also something that you've cultivated internally? I think it's actually more the latter. I think it's something that I've, And I think that it's something that I've focused so much on in therapy over the past year because it's something that I really latched onto. I was like, I don't have that existential confidence. And I watch and and I don't I don't think it's something that you can just be like, oh, it's the existential confidence I'm missing. I'm going to get that today. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's what I'm trying to do right now, because I look at you and I'm like, okay, of course, she's confident and doesn't have imposter syndrome because she's written these two cookbooks and she's so beautiful and successful and chill and also like amazing and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so I'm like, thank of you course, so much. I'm going to write you this down those. before you leave. <laughs> <laughs> of course you have that. So yeah, but so you don't, you don't feel that way on the inside. I don't feel that you way, feel on that the way six months ago. No. And another thing that I didn't mention in talking about like the negative social media impact on me last year that sort of spurred this whole purge on mm-hmm. social media was I never w- used to have a number of the insecurities that I have experienced in the past couple of years. And for example, like purely on a physical level in college, didn't take good care of myself at all. Am objectively a more attractive purely like on a physical level person today than I was in college. But I thought I was like a hot bitch in college. (laughs) I was like really like feeling myself during those four years. And like, it really cracks me up to, to look back because the tenure challenge thing that happened recently, I posted a photo of myself. I posted a bunch of them, but there was like one particular one. And I'm like, literally the most tan human being you've ever seen. I used to like, not fake tan, but I used to like sit in the sun like for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I was so tan. My hair was dark brown and frizzed to the max. It was summer. I don't know where I was, but I was wearing like this ridiculous outfit, smoking a cigarette. And like people were like, oh my God, like it's not, it's not even the same person. And then after all these people commented, I like turned to look and I was like, I'm kind of offended by people's responses to this. Like they were so horrified that that's what I used to look like. But the crazy thing is like when I posted that picture, I I genuinely did not anticipate that response because I think we always see ourselves as ourselves. Like looking at that photo, I'm like, oh, I look like younger and like my hair is brown. Like arguably that's, I'm very tan. But like, it still looks like me to me. Whereas like, I did not think that people were like going to be so, and they're like, oh my God. Like it was one of those scenarios where like, you're so brave to post this. I was like, why has the world not learned never to say that something is brave? Yes. Like, it is so offensive. Like, so offensive. Like I, it's you saying I can't believe you did that. Yes, 100%. You should be ashamed. Is yes. What and like anytime I see a photo means. of somebody in like a bikini or something postpartum and I, I'm like, oh God, I don't even want to look at the comments. And it's all like, you're so brave, mama. I'm like, no, that's just like what she looks like. And she's going to the beach. Like uh, it's not, it shouldn't be brave. That's what's wrong with our society. Yes. It should just be your body at the beach. Yeah. But like, I think that like over the past 
I don't know, two years, I've started to pivot more into the lifestyle wellness space. I And like that to me sounds ridiculous because like it's like a label for a genre of like content or whatever you want to call it that like did not exist. Like none of the stuff, a lot of the stuff we're talking about did not exist like even like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's just so weird that it's now part of our general lexicon. And who but, knows what we'll have in 10 years from now. Exactly. But like there are weird things that I love, 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 like skincare. Like I'm obsessed with it. And I used to feel weirdly guilty about it. Like I used to think that made me less of an intelligent human to be so obsessed with something so superficial. But like now I don't really give a fuck. Like it's just like something I really enjoy. I also love celebrity gossip. Like I don't care. (laughs) That's just part of who I am. That's why like I love that you're like constantly rewatching Sex in the City and things like that. I'm like, those are things that genuinely bring me joy. Yeah. Like I have been rewatching all six seasons of Dawson's Creek in the bath for the past year. And I it's did like, it this summer. Makes me, yeah, yeah. It's like wonderful. And like, you know, Dawson's like dumpy bucket pants make me so happy. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but those, I started talking about these things and then I didn't start exercising until a year and a half ago. So I started talking about that too. And like, that was a big thing in my life. But Talking about all of these things that sort of apply to my appearance, so to speak, had this crazy effect that it made me constantly think Mm -hmm. about my appearance, which I had never done before. So I think that really like unleashed all of these sort of strange feelings about my body and my skin and, and just things that I had never paid a ton of attention to. And... Now I have like these weird insecurities because Instagram, like I don't use filters on Instagram, but Instagram naturally filters your face. It just does. The camera. If you use the camera on your phone, not in Instagram stories, it picks up on like imperfections, whereas the Instagram camera does not. Really? Yes. It's like a, it's a slight blur. It's not. Did you just figure this out or read this on the internet? No, no, no. I figured this out, Mm -hmm. but there's no way in which it's not true because I can see my face in the mirror and I can see my face on Instagram and it's it's not exactly I, the same. I agree so, 100%. It's just yeah. fascinating. Like I want to know if they commented on this. <laughs> yeah, and like I don't I don't know what it is, but I do take really good care of my skin, but like people are like, "Oh my god, like your skin is flawless." And I'm like, "No, it's not." Like it looks like that on Instagram and I feel like I'm like doing people a disservice. But then I developed this insecurity that I'm like, "Oh my god, people are going to meet me in real life and be like, oh, her skin's not that great. Like, mm, you know, like things like that, that I'm like, whether or not they're true, it's a strange narrative that that I now tell myself that I'm like, I'm going to let people down because like my skin has pores. First of all, your skin is gorgeous, IRL, (laughs) just for for the record. But but also, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, totally. I think about that all the time. Like when someone meets me in person and they're like, Oh, I'm catfishing them. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> no, but that's exactly. Am I what as it nice? Is. Am I as in a good yes. mood? Like I, I work from this this coffee shop, and I talk about it all the time. And people often say hi to me there, which I love. But I have been there on days when I've been crying profusely. And then uh, like someone runs into me or I was just sweaty or I don't have makeup on. And <laughs> much like the You Are Brave, people have said, you look so different in person. And you're like, that is not a compliment. And I was just like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like, or you look really tired or, you know, just I've got I've gotten so many things. And it's just so interesting. 
really quickly interrupting this episode to tell you guys about my workshop, Let a Podcast Out. I'm really proud of it. Honestly, if you've been thinking about starting a podcast, you have an idea, you know someone who wants to start a podcast, check out Let a Podcast Out. It's a nine-week workshop where I go over everything from coming up with a concept and naming your podcast. You can do those modules for free right now to interviewing and reaching out to guests and finding sponsors and eventually monetizing it and marketing it and getting it into the ears of people who want to hear it. I also interview over a dozen other podcasters on their process, what they do. The girls from Almost 30, Just Lively, Jessica Mernan, so many people who have podcasts and have been doing it for a long time or are just really successful with it. And there's also a contest component. So not only are you doing this course and getting the calls with me and the Facebook group and the community, but I want you to actually use it and make a podcast. I've bought so many online courses where I've tried it a little bit, but nothing's ever come of it. So with this, I give you accountability of a deadline where you can submit to me a full episode or a clip from an episode for a chance for it to be aired on the Let It Out podcast feed, the one you're listening to right now check it out. This is the last week to sign up. It starts on April 1st and you can get $25 off by using the code let it out at checkout. That's $25 off by using the code let it out at checkout. So like I said, Serena and I have been hanging out since we recorded this episode. And one thing we love doing together is workout videos in her apartment. We actually did one right before we recorded this episode. And I was wearing Fabletics, not even joking with you. I swear I was wearing them. And we actually had a conversation about how we both loved Fabletics and were surprised at the quality because the price point is so great. They are on a mission to help empower women to make healthy, active lifestyles accessible. And yoga pants can be so expensive and they really keep the price point low without sacrificing quality. I genuinely like their pants a lot. I've been wearing them underneath my other pants. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that all winter I was wearing two pairs of pants, you guys. I was wearing a pair of Fabletics underneath regular jeans or like vintage Levi's or honestly, whatever pants I could find. And they were so great as long underwear. They're also really great to work out in, but I just don't think that people talk about the fact that they're such great long underwear enough. But honestly, I'm over that because I want it to be spring. They have so many cute styles, so many great spring styles. I love these pants. They make really great bras too. Serena was telling me that she really likes their bras. And this is what's cool. So Fabletics is offering you, listeners of Let It Out, an incredible deal you do not want to miss. You can get two pairs of leggings for only $24. That's a $99 value when you sign up to be a VIP. So just go to fabletics.com slash let it out to take advantage of this deal now. That's fabletics.com slash let it out to get two leggings for only $24. Also, free shipping on orders that are $49 or more. International shipping is available, and there's absolutely no commitment when you purchase your first order. That's fabletics.com slash let it out. I got a new shipment 
recently, like the other day. And I got these forest green pants that I've been loving. They're very high-waisted, which I really like. Again, new styles, new collections, new prints. There's some really cute stuff for spring. And I just, I think you guys should check it out. I really genuinely think you would like it. You can get up to 50% off on the regular pricing and instant access to their latest collections when you become a VIP. Plus, the best part is there's there's no commitment. There really is not a commitment at all. Fabletics.com slash let it out to take advantage of this deal now. That's fabletics.com slash let it out for your two pairs of free not free, but you know, they're pretty close to free. Two pairs of leggings for $24. That's fabletics.com slash let it out. Thanks so much, Fabletics. So going back to what you were saying about like what you got from Dr. I, in my mind, he's Dr. Gary. <laughs> I love that. Let's Dr. Gary. That. I'm. Yeah. He's older. So, yeah. He's older. Yeah. He's older. He's so weird. He was like young when you were. When no, you no, were. no, no. He's not like old. Actually, I have no concept of how old he is. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm also, this is like a joke amongst my family and friends is like, I have no idea how old people are. Like, I genuinely think that anybody between the ages of like, 38 and like 60 are like the same age like I just have no I'm not great at that either with especially with kids like I'm like is that a two-year-old or a seven-year-old I think it's oh 100% but I also think it's the same like especially difficult for me with men so as far as I'm concerned my therapist is somewhere between the ages of like 45 and 60 okay great (laughs) I'm gonna say in in my mind he's like in his 60s yeah so Dr. Gary so did you did you process this with him I think this is really yeah I talk about this a lot I, I talk about this a lot and and part of it was having him be able to a provide like an objective sort of synopsis of what was going on he's like okay you started mentioning these insecurities you know two years ago it's obviously become significantly worse in the past year let's talk about what you've been doing differently to like figure out and like ultimately it was see a pattern social media right. but also being on camera so i remember i remember the first time i ever saw myself on camera and that was you've done so many cool tv segments <laughs> thank you and i love doing those like yes, it makes me so, you're so happy good at to it do i them. watched so many last night uh, <laughs> how was the chew uh Actually, I like loved. That. I love the chew it was so like, much. I really love the chew, and I love that was my first like big time appearance, uh-huh. and I was so nervous. And like in hindsight, You're like so good, on somebody, it. you know, like I made chicken fingers with Mario Batali, and that's an interesting thing to talk about now. <laughs> oh right, I've, I was like, but like yeah. that whole scenario, like they made me feel so comfortable. I had so much fun, and also like usually when you are, do those kind of segments, you have like three or four minutes, but I had like ten, oh, so it was great. wonderful. And just we're gonna go right back to what we were talking about, but just our quick aside yeah. about the chew. I feel like it's such a good show for you because we were talking earlier about how people love on your Instagram when you make dinner with them and you aren't someone who just like straight leftovers. You like to take it up to the next level. And that was what the chew was to me. It was like being creative with what you already have in your kitchen. There was something for everyone from Daphne to Mario. And that's what your work and the way you cook is. And And they made it really fun. Yeah. And it it just felt like such a a great fit for you. So anyway, so your insecurities came up when you're going on camera. And I saw myself like 
those were like later TV appearances, but right after culinary school, I shot like a, you know, like a demo because I thought I wanted to do TV. Mm-hmm. Now I still want to do TV, but like not in the same way. Like I thought TV was my end goal back then. And so like straight out of culinary school, I think it was 23. I met with like Agents Food Network or- and all of these uh-huh. people. And like they were like, our target audience has been cooking for like almost as long as you've been alive, like come back in like a decade. (laughs) But I shot this demo and I remember watching it and being like, Oh my God, that's what I look like. It's sort of like hearing your voice like Mm -hmm. on a podcast or on the radio or whatever. You're like, is that what I sound like? It still blows my mind. I'm like, is that what I sound like? But I was so shocked. Like who I saw in my, in the mirror was not, who I saw when I watched that reel. And that was sort of kind of crushing for me in a weird way, because like I said, in college, I had this like weird, like confidence confidence that was kind of shattered. The first time I saw myself, I was like, Oh my God, like I never wear like real makeup. And like, you have to wear real makeup on camera. Like you don't have to, I mean, Mm -hmm. Alicia Keys does, (laughs) but like, since yeah. other people are too, it also like really stands out if you don't. And I was wondering, and like, I remember when I went on my book tour and I was doing all of these TV appearances, I said to somebody who works, you know, in the industry, I was like, something is like off in my appearance. I can't figure out they were like, it's your hair. And I was like, what? And they were like, everybody, for the most part, everybody on TV that doesn't have natural, like Daphne Oz hair, that's like crazy has hair extensions. And he's like, in comparison, he's like, you look bald. <laughs> I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like, and then I got hair extensions and they ruined my hair and like, I will never get them again. But wow. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> this yeah. like, makes such a huge difference. And same thing with wearing like on camera makeup. Like you need a little bit of like Kardashian contour to mm-hmm. like look like a human. Otherwise you look like you know, a monochromatic yeah, there's ghost. lights and the camera. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a very, so like all of those things that in life, we as a society like place a lot of value on looks. And it's like one of those things where I feel, and I feel insecure saying this too, but like I care about my appearance and like, mm-hmm. do I think that it's the most important thing about me? Absolutely not. Like, is it even the top, like, you know, like tier of important things about me? No, but also so much of that is out of our control. So much of how you look and how I look are just your fucking genes. Yeah, You know what I mean? Not your your denim. I genuinely feel, and I think I'm a very, like I'm an overly sensitive person and you yeah. are too. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I genuinely feel terrible when something I recommend or something like doesn't work for someone. And, and I can recognize that that, is not healthy for me, but it still makes me feel bad. And like, I have to remind myself. So like, I am now queen of the disclaimers. Somebody will be like, I ate this. I had the worst indigestion after I'm like, Oh my God, like I feel responsible for that. Cause it's my recipe, but I'm also like, I can't take ownership right. of that, but I do like I do. And yeah. it's something I've been, that's another thing I have to work on is like, or people who will be like, I tried this skincare product that you recommended and it made me break out or whatever. Sometimes it's accusatory and sometimes it's not, but I'm also like, I have dry, like rash prone skin with like whatever. And like what works for me isn't going to work for you necessarily. So like, I'm always just trying to be like as transparent as possible. Yeah. 
And it's hard. I think skincare is such a great analogy for food and because it's the yes. it's the same it's thing the same it's thing. like but it's, it's to me it's obvious. a bit more obvious yeah it's like we i really oily acne prone skin i am never going and it's just very specific like i figured out what works for me i do not feel the need to you know i'll try stuff but i don't feel the need to know anyone else's skincare routine because i know it's not yeah. going to have the same effect on my skin yeah. however with food and body and diet it's almost like i'm like well maybe if it were and now finally at this age that i am now i'm finally able to be like no it's not going to work for me like my body is just like my boobs are not really going to get bigger than they are now or I'm not going to like well that's that's a really <laughs> dumb thing to say actually really like that, <laughs> that will definitely change probably <laughs> in my life but I'm just saying like my body is going to change my yes. my our moms probably look really different and yes. our grandmas look different and like they're not going to look like body diversity exists and I think to really like and I'm I'm I know you studied sociology at Harvard yeah. so I would love to talk about this from a sociological perspective of like getting behind the reason of like, why are we so vain? Well, it's like society's really mean to fat people. One ex yes. Like, and that's a also like the concept of herd mentality is I feel so relevant today. And we are all myself included. So susceptible to various trends yeah. so to speak and like at the end of the day i like i said earlier like i support all different diets and healthy lifestyles because things like work for different people and fear tends to breed more fear and i feel like the fear that our society has in that's being fostered in in the wellness industry and that's fear of chemicals fear of junk food fear of all of the some some of which have more validity than others. But like I do things like I, I'll get messages from people. And these are not, I want to say I feel genuinely so lucky that I have like, I always joke that like my people on Instagram are like the funniest, nicest, smartest people on the internet that like we've like found each other. But I genuinely think they're so wonderful. And a lot of times the messages that upset me come from a genuinely good place and they're not meant to upset me at all. But they're like, I'll be making roasted vegetables and I will have lined a pan with aluminum foil. And people are like, aren't you afraid of the aluminum leaching into the vegetables? And like, I'll just respond with the truth, which is I genuinely am not a fearful person. I stand in front of the microwave. I talk, <laughs> you know, like on the phone all day long. We're I all didn't gonna exercise die. for most of my life. Yeah. Like all of these things, like, I have, I think, and I genuinely think it's because of my anxiety. I'm like, I have enough to deal with without worrying that like the aluminum foil under my vegetables is going to kill me. Like I'm already like, I have, I'm still trying to figure out if like my life is like on the correct path, let alone totally. <laughs> like, my, you know, roasted vegetables yeah, are going to contribute to my premature death. Yeah. But like, there are so many things that I think we as a society have stated are bad. And that is what upsets me because I genuinely, when people reach out and are like, do you still drink? The answer is like 100%. Yes, <laughs> I drink quite often. Honestly, I still smoke the occasional cigarette. I am overall 
a healthy person. And like, I feel like my definition of balance is being able to work out consistently and then like have a full, you know, week to two weeks where I do not exercise at all and then just get right back into it. And like, that doesn't matter. Or like most weeks, like I have a a couple drinks and like every once in a while I go on vacation and I'll have like, you know, like a bazillion drinks and like, stay up until all hours of the night and like maybe smoke a cigarette or not exercise and and eat a cheeseburger because I'm hungover. And then like I go back to my normal life and like everything is fine again. And I think that that's the only way that I can I can function and not go crazy because I am already crazy enough. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's what scares me about the wellness world that we both are, you know, a part of or or toy with or really enjoy because so much of that stuff can be really useful or just a fun hobby, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with superfoods. And I like a green juice as much as the next guy, but I also like to go out and have a drink and have pizza and do all these things. And I think to deny our, we're, we have so few sensory pleasures to deny (laughs) those as humans is really sad. It is, And that there's not really gray area and the wellness industry is really scary. And I think it's changing to people to be more moderate, but I think it's also like, look, I'm so moderate. I'm eating, but it's like, everybody is different. And the more we know the kind of, I don't even know what I'm saying. It's just so complicated. No, it's so complicated, but I know, I know exactly what you're saying. Cause it's the concept. First of all, like I love trends. Like I love them. Like yeah, I did same. celery juice for a month. It didn't do anything for me, but like I did it. Cause I was curious. And like, I think it's okay to be curious about these things. And like we said, we were talking about this earlier. I can't remember if <laughs> we were recording or not. There's so much privilege involved with wellness. So I'm so cognizant of that. And like for me to be able to experiment with different skincare products or drinking celery juice or doing any of these things is a privilege. And to say not everyone has that privilege is like the understatement of the century. Mm -hmm. Most people do not have that privilege. So I am also happy to guinea pig things and then tell people the truth of my experience. And I love... I really do love a placebo effect and I, I support that. So I'm like, if you're somebody that's going to drink the celery juice and and feel a burst of energy and have smoother digestion and clearer skin, whether that's actually happening or not is irrelevant. If you believe that it is happening, then drink that celery juice, girl. Like yeah. that's how I feel about certain things that I do. I take, you know, an anxiety supplement that's just like literally a blend of herbs I don't really know if it works or I just think that it works. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's working. You know, like right. I'm like, I take it and I instantly feel calmer because I know that I've taken an action to, you know, calm my anxiety. It's the same thing with any sort of wellnessy thing. But that's the part of wellness in the age of social media that scares me because it's like, you see, you talking about it is so genuine and so relaxed of like, you're not saying this anxiety supplement is the best anxiety <laughs> supplement in the world. It's the thing that helps me. You're saying, I take it. I'm going to keep taking it. It might help me. It might be a placebo, but I don't care. And I like it. Maybe you want to try it if you can, but you're not saying that if you you're wrong for not doing it or this is the only thing that's going to help you. And I know it's like a privileged thing, but sorry, like there's no, like you're so open to it being wrong and not everybody needs it and it might work for you and not for someone else. And that honesty I think is important when we live in this world that people are sharing about it. And I think I am also another like aspect of my privilege is that my sources of income are like my cookbooks blog advertising, freelance recipe development, like appearances. 
I do the occasional sponsored Instagram post, but like for the most part, Instagram is like my for fun thing. Yeah. Like it, it 100% helps. It's weird for me to think about Instagram as my, like as a quote unquote platform. And like, I know that like my people cook from the do diet and that like makes me so fucking happy. I can't even like, it's like still, it is so cliche, but there are very few things that I genuinely feel proud and like giddy about mm. like when people like I know everybody says this but it's like one thing if like somebody's like I made your recipe and I liked it but like people send me like photos of their Aww. kids eating quinoa bakes like funny things like that that I'm like that makes me feel connected to people yeah. through social media technically like if people are buying my books and whatever it is a a portion of my income but like I am lucky in that like Instagram because it's not my job or like my paying job mm-hmm. I get to be like I'm not making money off of this anxiety supplement. I'm just telling you what yeah. it is. So like take it or leave it. But I think that that's a privilege because I do think so many people in the wellness world are making totally. like that is their livelihood. Right. So I get the importance of like maybe gilding the lily in a description of the product yeah. and being like, this is life changing and like whatever. And I'm like. And pressure from brands. And pressure from that. brands. And like just being like, at the end of the day, like I still get giddy when somebody sends me something that I like. I, like yesterday, I got a box of Reyes tomato sauce and I go through like three jars of the stuff a week. So like I was, but I was like, oh my God, like, yeah. <laughs> like things like that where, and then I like talked about it. I was like, yeah, I got this package and it's, a, it's amazing. And I like love Reyes and like, they're not paying me to, like they did send me free tomato sauce, but what? That's like, worth of tomato sauce. Like they're not paying me to like be a freak and gush over it, but like, it's just something that I use all the time. So like that kind of stuff, I think the word authentic gets thrown around so much. And I think people put, people don't support influencers, bloggers, whatever you want to call it when they do work with brands because they're like, Oh, they're being paid to say that. But I would like really, I like, I'm not often in that position, but I do think it's important to like, Give some people, like if you really, for example, somebody's following you, they love following you. And like you, Katie, are like, I use this hair thing that like makes my hair, like everyone's like, your hair looks amazing. What is it? And then you say you use this product and they decide to sponsor you. And then you talk about it and people are like, she's being paid to say that. It's like, give the people that you like the benefit of the doubt in that they chose to work with this brand because they actually use the product. Like sometimes it's very obvious when somebody's just like shilling. Like if I all of a sudden were to be like, I love Bacardi mixers. People would be like, no, you don't. <laughs> but, like, right. but like for me to be like, I love, for example, like I've been trying to get Yeti to sponsor me for years. I'm like, they refuse, but I will not give up. <laughs> but like, <laughs> still, like it's something that I use on my every single day. And if they were to pay me, it'd be like, it would make sense. I'm like, yeah, yeah like when, when, yeah, yeah. People have been buying your product because I've been gushing about it for years. Yeah. And like, it's, consider it back payments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an <laughs> interesting free advertising. It's we very live strange. in such an interesting world with all of that. Yeah. And it's changed so much even since since we started, you know? I have I'm looking at the time and how I have not asked you one of the questions <laughs> I was going to ask you. So we'll do these as quick fire, okay. but they're gonna they're they're not quick fire answers. But okay. I'll warm you up with easy ones and then, you know, we'll go through it. What's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Oh, I made brown rice jambalaya last night, which is my one oh, of like really the oldest recipes on my blog. And I still make it all the time. And I actually put it in my first cookbook because I love it so much. That was my 
my highlight. I mean, it was yesterday. So yeah. (laughs) When did you decide that you wanted to be a chef and study in France after college? Oh, I will keep this one as succinct as possible. But long story short, like I had no plan. I had like an existential crisis when I graduated from college because I was like, I majored in sociology and minored in French and had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And Harvard actually has like a wonderful way of making you feel like you're behind in life before you even started your life. So everybody else seemed to know what they wanted to do. And I was like, I'm going to move to Paris. I thought I wanted to be a writer, which I guess like sort of am now, but not really. And a friend of mine was like, you should do the basic program at Cordon Bleu. It's only three months. It'll give you some structure. I went with the, like anticipating literally being there for three months and then coming home. And I hated it at first. And then it was as if like a light switch went on and I all of a sudden fell in love with it. Like took like a good two months. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of good at this. And then I think naturally when you're good at something, you like it more. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So I was like, I really like this. And so I signed on and did the full diploma program, which is like, and then a term of pastry. So that took me like a little, like a year and a half almost. And then when I graduated, I was like, I don't want to be in restaurants, but I love storytelling and like creating recipes. And I had started a blog while I was at culinary school and I started sort of weaving all those things together. So I was blogging, I was recipe developing and then private chefing. And that was kind of all. No, sorry. As soon as I graduated, I moved back to New York. So I was doing Mm -hmm. those things in New York. And then the blog and private chefing sort of led to my first book deal. And then I quit private chefing because I never actually liked that. (laughs) And then, you know, ever since I've been sort of doing a mixture of the cookbooks and blogging and, and speaking and teaching. What's your favorite recipe you've ever made? I think the overarching concept of the quinoa bake, which (laughs) people are always like, what's a quinoa bake? And I'm like, it's literally what it sounds like. It's a quinoa casserole, but you could put 8 million different things in it. My best one is the cheeseburger quinoa bake, which is in the original Mm. dude diet. But there's, I think on the blog, there's like 15 of them. I now do a quarterly quinoa bake. I would like to come over and have (laughs) that with you. I will feed you plenty of quinoa bake. And they come in all different, there's vegetarian ones, there's like steak ones, lots of chicken ones, like whatever. But you can also, once you sort of master the formula, you can make a quinoa bake with whatever's in your fridge. And it's like, always a crowd pleaser. It's super satisfying. Kids love it. I love that. Warming. Yes. You mentioned herd mentality and I know you studied sociology at Harvard. So what is your biggest lesson on sociology? Something that has stuck with you since, since college, maybe talk about herd mentality or something else. I think it's a concept like similar to herd mentality that it's very easy for humans to get stuck in cycles. So whether that's like a cycle of poverty or the fear cycles that we were talking about earlier, like fear breeds more fear. I think for me, I've always been sort of more analytical when I look at the way that the wellness industry has sprung up or the way that social media is and the concept of being like just It's so simple, literally, just because everybody else is doing it does not mean that you have to do it. So I think that that's sort of being conscious of when I'm behaving in a way that I'm like, am I actually doing this because I want to, or am I just doing it because I think that I have to, because everybody else is doing it? Like, I think being aware 
that humans are susceptible, as susceptible as any other creature to herd mentality, being aware of it in and of itself is enough to help you break away from it. Mm, Yeah, that's, I'm just taking that in. As someone who does a lot of things and has anxiety (laughs) and is really creative and productive, what are your productivity tips? How do you structure your day for productivity? Are there any apps or tools that help you? For me, I think being self-employed, because I am somebody that thrives on routine, I found that giving myself structure and deadlines has had such a positive impact over the years on my productivity. The first couple of years that I was working from home, I was kind of a disaster. Like I would work in fits and starts and like be super productive for a couple of days and then not do anything for like a week. That's and- me. Yeah. What did you do? <laughs> so I think what I, what I've started to do, I mean, it's started, it's been like five years now, but I genuinely treat today as an exception, but like for the most part, I often treat my day-to-day as if I were going to an office. So like I get up, I exercise. I used to get up psychotically early, like we were talking about. Now I get up a little later, but like I still like get dressed. Like Mm -hmm. I put on real clothes. I brush my hair. Like I put on a little bit of makeup. Like I dress as if, and like oftentimes I, you know, I am leaving the house. I have to go to the grocery market. I have to run errands. I have to go to meetings. But like, even if I don't really have to be anywhere, getting dressed is a mental yeah, thing for me. And then I go into my, like I make breakfast, I have coffee, I answer emails. And then I go into my office at like 9 a.m. as if I had to be in an office and I sit down. And if like, I don't have, obviously if I don't have computer work, then I'm cooking. So same thing. If it's 9 a.m., like I'm going to start recipe testing. I'm going to go to a meeting. I'm going to get on a call. But I try to behave as if there were somebody making sure that I was quote unquote showing up. And I also try to build in what's been a game changer for me over the past sort of year is building in breaks. And like my therapist has been trying to make me do this for years and years and years. Cause I I feel like I've teetered on the edge of burnout off and on for the past seven years and building in conscious breaks, whether that's to like literally go take a 20 minute walk or like now I have a sassy desk lunch and I, I like sit, and have my lunch and we'll like listen to a podcast or watch half of the bachelor or do or read my book or something while I eat lunch so that I'm not like feverishly shoveling food and like responding to an email and Mm -hmm. working on book edits or whatever. I like take that time and I genuinely feel more creative and refreshed. And I also have been reading a lot more, like instead of watching TV, I've been reading a lot more and that I think has made me much more productive. I think it's, calmed my anxiety too to a point because you have to focus so much yeah on one whereas like when i'm watching tv i can still mind race double screen and and so reading has helped me a lot but i think that really the scheduling thing has been the biggest game changer for me and setting deadlines like people are like you don't have a deadline for that i'm like no but i do yeah like i have to post this blog post at a certain time i have to turn in this round of book edits at a certain time. Discipline. Like, discipline. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the hardest part, I think, for anyone. But if you treat it as real, it becomes real. Yeah. that's re- I think that's really helpful. You mentioned so many things that help your anxiety, like Dr. Gary and <laughs> the supplement and these routines. What other anxiety... You articulate talking about anxiety so well on your channel on your channel what do we call them feed feed sure. stories Story. and people should definitely follow you for so many reasons 
food stuff if they want to. I follow you for a little bit of all of it, but the anxiety <laughs> stuff is probably like my number one. Thank you. And you articulate it so beautifully. What have you learned recently other than those things that helps you navigate it? So I know we mentioned this briefly, but the exercise component has been huge, huge, huge for me. Um, again, another thing like, I mean, I, I am clearly very stubborn, <laughs> but for years, my like when I was in therapy too, he's like, you have to start exercising or meditating, preferably both, but like you have to. And I just never did. And then I started exercising uh, consistently like almost two years ago. And it, it sounds so trite, but like it changed my life. Like I was like, oh my God. And like same thing, like three or four years ago, I made my New Year's resolution to drink more water. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I bet like those like moving and uh, hydrating. Crazy. Yeah. Consistent exercise has helped my anxiety so much. I also, <laughs> staying hydrated, calcium, magnesium, I take pretty regularly. So many of us have a magnesium deficiency. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and it's natural. I take natural vitality, natural calm, and I just like mix it into warm water. It kind of tastes like metal, but I'm so used to at it. At night, at this point. you do it? Yep. Mm -hmm. CBD has been a real help for me. I only started, I only sort of discovered CBD this year i mean like maybe in the nine months ago i mean it's been around for a long time but like it's only again that is one one trend that i am grateful for i also think that talking about it so openly yeah. has decreased my anxiety in a way that i never anticipated because i think i spent so many years trying to not remotely hide it. I'm very lucky in that my family, everyone in my family is anxious. So we talk about it all the time. And so again, that's another privilege that I have is in my like life. Is it like a hereditary thing? Yeah. Because I don't really know. And well, I mean, yeah. it's it's obviously not exclusively hereditary, but yes, like I have everyone in my family struggles with some form of anxiety. And it's crazy to me that like, Again, that's something when when I talk about anxiety and people say like that's so brave. It's the one context in which I do not feel like we were talking about earlier, like mildly offended when somebody's like that's so brave. Instead, I feel guilt because I'm like I'm so lucky that I grew up being able to talk about this so openly, and my husband is so supportive of it. My friends are so supportive of it that I'm like I can't imagine what it's like to have to keep it bottled up. But ever since I started talking about it on social media, I think the concept that I can just be like, hey, I'm going through a super anxious phase. I'm trying not to judge myself for that. But also the biggest thing that has helped me change my outlook on having anxiety is just being like, sometimes there is no fix. You just have to ride the wave. And I have never once not come out the other side. I always come out the other side. So like, it's so comforting when I feel, you know, my legs are numb or my jaw is twitching or I feel lightheaded or I my chest is tight. And I'm like, you're not dying. Mm -hmm. You're just anxious. And this sucks. And, you know, you've gone for a walk. You've exercised today. You've taken calcium, magnesium. You've tried everything and you're still anxious. And that's okay. Tomorrow will be better. And if it's not, the next day will be. And like, that has been so freeing mentally for me to just be like, sometimes stop trying so hard to make it stop and just lean into it and ride it out. And sometimes just that alone, like that release of being like, 
I'm just going to wait it out. Sometimes that's actually enough for my brain. And when it isn't, then I just wait it out. It's kind of like what they say about a car accident. Like if you tense up, you'll break more bones and you Mm -hmm. have to just like, it's so hard because I want to turn to a coping mechanism or I want to like stop feeling it. But it's like essentially you just have to like let it pass. And something that I just started doing, nobody actually told me to do this, but I've been doing it in my in my mind and sometimes out loud. And I think I heard you say this too. Do you like rate your anxiety? Like, oh, I'm like a, I'm like a 10 right now. Yeah, or I'm I'll like do a that. five. And, and I think that's something my husband is so analytical that it's like helps him too, to be mm-hmm. like, how are you feeling? I'll be like, I'm a four today. Like, and yeah. that's, I'll be like, oh, okay. Like that's worse than I thought. Like, <laughs> yeah. like and like, it will just tune him into, to like how I'm feeling. It makes me feel better to be like, oh, like, Sometimes if you're at a four and then the next day you're like, mm, I'm at a six. And then you're like, that is actually much better than yesterday. Yeah. So we on the up and up. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think we actually talked about this just now with you, you saying like, sometimes you have to write it out. Sometimes, you know, a, a coping mechanism or yeah. something that will help. But with panic attacks in Oof. particular, how do they feel for you? And what do you, what do you do when one comes on? So I'm really lucky in that I, when I first had, when I had my very first panic attack, I went to the hospital. Like I thought I was having, I thought I was having a heart attack or something. I like, it was my senior year graduation week in college. And I just, I was on my way to a Dave Matthews concert (laughs) and I was on the tee with my friends. And like, all of a sudden it felt like, it felt like, (laughs) it felt like somebody (laughs) had like dumped a sandbag inside my head. Mm. I don't know. Have you ever had morphine? Like, have you ever had any sort of injury? Okay. Like I had these, this weird, which looking back may have been anxiety, like crippling stomach pain one summer that like, I couldn't like breathe. And they, they think, you know, I ended up having like an ulcer and like things like that, but like they gave me morphine once because I was screaming in the hospital. (laughs) And like that panic attack sort of felt like similar. Like it's like a, it feels like sand is like running through your body. Like I was like, my head felt tingly and sort of numb. I felt like I couldn't walk, but my my heart was like beating way too fast and I couldn't catch my breath. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. So I sort of snuck away from my friends. I was like, I'm going to go home. Like, I just don't feel well. And I got in a cab and went to the hospital and they kept me there for like four hours and ran every possible test. And they're like, you had an acute panic attack. Like, oh you know, that's what happened. And for about a year after that, I continued to have panic attacks like that, like an earth shattering numbness and tingling in my extremities, in my head. I would feel like somebody was sitting on my chest. Like my, I would have weird shooting pains in my arms, like all of these. Were they brought on by specific things? So like I could be totally fine one second and having a full blown panic attack the next And then after you have, for some people, after you have a major panic attack, you have aftershocks, essentially. So like smaller panic attacks. And then what happens with a panic disorder is that you then have generalized anxiety surrounding your next panic attack. So like, when is it coming? Yeah. So like, for me, that first year was terrifying because I didn't know what it was. So like each time, like I knew like they were like, you had a panic attack, but when you're new to it, each time you have one, you're like, okay, this could be a panic attack, but this could also be the time I'm dying. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like that feels very real in your head. You're like, I don't know. This feels a little bit different than the last one. Yeah. (laughs) Cause they're never actually dying. Right. And so once I got over sort of that 
hump. Also, I went on LexPro, which is an SSRI for that first year. And I do think it helped me get over the hump, but it didn't, I still had generalized anxiety and it had all these sort of, you know, I had no sex drive. I didn't feel super anxious, but I also didn't feel like super anything. So like I couldn't get super happy. I never got super sad. Yeah. And so I, after extensive discussion with my therapist, which I'm always like, please talk to your doctors, people. Mm -hmm. But like, I decided to wean myself off of that Lexpro after a year. And I haven't been on any medication since I was like nine years ago. And I've sort of been controlling this through lifestyle changes. But now I would say I only have like actual panic attacks that like, I will generally, if I have one that bad, like I will do take all of the measures that I can. But a lot of times that just means me like going into a dark room, getting in the fetal position and waiting it out because real panic attacks cannot last that long. Like I forget what the actual you know, numerical time value is that a panic attack can physically last, but they're much shorter than like a generalized anxiety spell. Like I think like it's definitely not more than like 35 minutes of that extreme panic. And then I will be so exhausted that I will typically fall asleep. But like, I rarely have that anymore. And I think I've maybe had like five major panic attacks in the past like seven years. I now have like generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm. So some days it's worse than others and it like teeters on the edge of like an actual panic attack. And it feels, it's almost worse because it's sustained. So I can right. have like five full days of like intense generalized anxiety, but like I rarely have the full-blown attacks. But I always tell people, one of the biggest things that's been huge in my relationship is explaining mm-hmm. to Logan what it feels like so that he can support me in a way that the worst thing you can, I, I personally think you can ever say to an anxious person is just calm down. Like you think I'm not trying to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's really helpful to be vocal and be like, I'm having a panic attack. And then sometimes, sometimes people like to be touched. Sometimes people don't like to be touched. Sometimes like they want to talk about it. Sometimes it's helpful just to be completely silent. So like it's more figuring out what works for you and then communicating that to the people that you're closest to. So that also so that they don't feel badly. Like yeah. I don't like to be touched. So I'll be like, he knows not to touch me and he knows it's not personal. Like that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. Cause like when somebody loves you and I feel the same way about my friends who also suffer with anxiety is like, I know what it's like to be on both sides. So I'm like, I just, I always just say like, let me know if there's anything I can do. And like, they know that I mean that. So they will be like, okay, can you get me some water? I'm like, okay, yeah. like whatever. But like, it's, it's a very, I think communication is, so important and that seems so simple but I often think it's overlooked that was a really hard thing in my relationship like I couldn't communicate that and he always wanted to fix it and he couldn't fix it and I couldn't use my words in that moment to explain what was happening and I didn't know what I needed and I think that's something I'm I'm processing from this relationship as a mirror of like how do how do I communicate that and how can everyone handle that? You know, and that's like a I don't scary know thing. that they can, and that's the thing too. Is like you're right. Like I don't know that everybody has the patience, or in a weird way, like the self confidence mm-hmm. to be like it's not me, and there's nothing I can do. Like just like I said about me personally riding the anxiety wave they kind of have to wait it out too, which is yeah. the worst part for somebody that you love. And it didn't, and this might make me cry, but it, it didn't work in my situation, you know? And yeah. that's, I have so much like shame and guilt around that because it's like, 
I could have been better and I could have managed my anxiety better and I could have communicated better. And a lot of that's true. But I don't think it is that like it's going to make me <laughs> do because I think so many people think that. And I don't think that like we have any control over it at the end of the day what people fail to understand is it's like so much of it is just brain chemistry and like we can't control it like we were born like this like we were literally born like this <laughs> that's what's so hard because some like i want to just think that someone who loves you can accept you for that but sometimes it's just like maybe we're too much for some people or maybe yeah it, yeah it's but it's, i don't think that like thing. It's such an oversimplification, but like, I, I don't think that you can ever be too much for whatever you want to call it your person, because you are eventually going to find people that are able to either empathize or to just be like, this is something about you that I love you enough to not think of this as any sort of like deterrent because it's like, it's just the crazy thing is like, I would never, I totally understand that guilt and shame because I had, I did have that for so long in the first few years of my relationship. And I was constantly apologizing until he was like, please stop apologizing. He was like, you have nothing to be sorry for. And he's right. He's like, what if I had some random condition, you know, like uh, some sort of medical condition that you needed to help me with. He was like, you would never be like, ugh, I'm not going to do that. And it's true. Like when you love somebody, whatever that thing is, because none of us are perfect. And I personally think that having anxiety and and being able to live with it, because it's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Like that's also the hard part of just being like, I can do my best to manage it. And most days I feel great. And we all have bad days and most days you are great. And then like knowing that you're going to have those off days is, is sometimes depressing to think about. Be like, I'm always going to be managing this. It's always going to be something I'm struggling with. But like, I just think like there's so many people out there that also struggle with this. And that's not to say that you have to be in a relationship with somebody else who's anxious, but It's something that like, I feel like once we liberate ourselves from like the guilt and shame, it's easier to manage because I sometimes find looking back, I'm like, oh, wow, my anxiety was made so much worse by me trying to control it, not just for myself, but for the people around me, because that added another layer of anxiety of being like, oh my God, have I upset these people? Are they judging me? Am I being a burden? And I think the burden element. Yes. And like the spiraling is very real. <laughs> and the, I mean, that's what happened to me. It's like, I think the fact that I was in a long distance relationship was really hard on my anxiety because yeah. I was like, I would put so much pressure on, well, we're only together right now. If I have an anxious day, then we have three days together, period. Like I have to be better. And then the constant apologizing of like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And we had this moment, like this is vulnerable, but like at the we were we were in New York and I had had like such an anxious day. He was leaving the next day and we had been together for two weeks and I had just not been able to decide where we were going in the morning and it just was just this whole thing that was like a silly thing that just spiraled and I was feeling, I was having one of those bad days where a lot of days I'm really great. And 
we were walking through Central Park to go to the Guggenheim and the sun was setting and I was just apologizing, 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 apologizing about this thing that had happened at 10 a.m. And he was like, it just makes me so sad. Not that that happened, but that we're still talking about it right now as the sun setting. It's been a whole day. And I just realized that like I didn't have the language for my anxiety and how to communicate this to another person and be in a relationship with another person when I started this relationship two years ago. And now I think I do. And I think, I think he thought though, that I would get better or there would be this end in sight. And there, it's not what my therapist has told me is like, it's not linear. Growth isn't linear. And that's the part I would get. This conversation is like really helpful to me right now because I feel like I would get so hard on myself of like, I would have eight good days and then I would have an anxious day again. And then I would be like, and to him, I would I would be like, well, he has compassion fatigue and I, three strikes you're out and he's given me so many passes and like, this means that it's all gone to shit, you know? And that, but like, do you also find that your anxiety is, for me, I can sometimes register that it's triggered by something. But that for me is very rare. Like mine is In generally yeah. fucking free floating. And for I'm like, sure. like people, and a lot of people have, I think the discussion around anxiety these days, I love that people are talking about it more. And so I do not want this to be misconstrued, but I think that unfortunately a lot of people conflate stress and anxiety and they are not the same thing. They are not experienced the same way. Also stress includes a stressor. So like work or family or something that's making you feel stressed. Whereas anxiety can like I said, just be free floating and there can be no root cause for it that specific day. Although there can be life phases. Like I always find that when I'm working on a book, I'm extremely stressed and not anxious because Mm. I am, Mm. I am so focused and I am channeling all of my energy into something that I don't have a lot of brain space left over. For me, my anxiety feeds on like free brain space. So like the second I free things up, the more it's like, cool, now we've got all of this lovely time yeah. and space to be anxious. So Because you're it's like what you were saying about you thriving in a school environment, all your anxiety yeah. went to focus. Yes. And when your anxiety doesn't have something to focus on, you have to give it another bone like exercise, like meditation, like all of these other coping things. I could talk to you about this for like 18 years, but I am going to send you this TED Talk that I watched recently. And it's, I think your name's Angela Cerberano. Well, you'll have to link okay. to it because it's like literally she has such terrible anxiety and she has, she works on managing it through leaning into fear in other aspects of her life. So like she literally does activities that stress her out in order to take up space so that she cannot feel anxious, which I think is such a unique perspective. Yeah. I think I know the times in my life that I have felt less anxious have been when I'm what you call stress or just channeling it somewhere of like when I had to be so focused writing at my, my book while I was working full time and doing things that it's just like, well, I have to get this done at this time. And it's interesting. I don't know. I've had so many like aha moments just with you when you've been talking of like, I didn't really realize I was anxious until about three years ago in therapy and what that even meant and how it manifests. And then being in a relationship brings up all of your stuff because all of it. I can be anxious on my own. It doesn't really affect another person and I can hide it from 
basically everyone else in my life because I can keep them kind of at an arm's length until this person who knows me so well and can see through all of the masks I wear with everyone else when I tell people <laughs> it's going to be okay, you know? Well, absolutely. And I don't know if you are a worst case scenario person, but I am. Yeah. So, is that an anxiety thing? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And so like, this is something I do in therapy. It's also like a technique, you know, it's like, let's run through the worst case scenarios. And like, you know, that like my therapist actually started cracking up in multiple worst case scenario discussions. For example, this fall, I had to do this cooking demo at like a food festival. I have no anxiety surrounding public speaking. I love being on TV. Like that kind of stuff doesn't trigger my anxiety at all. But for whatever reason, because I hadn't done any appearances because I'd been working on the book for so long, I started being like, wait, I don't know if I can do this. It was just a very like weird thing. And I like developed this specific anxiety around doing this demo. And he was like, okay, like what are the wor- what's the worst case scenario? And I was like, I don't know. Like I go on stage and and I freeze and I I I cut my finger off and I have to go to the hospital. And he's like, what? <laughs> Worst case scenario is it's that so you bomb and then everybody forgets about it. He's like, I don't even know where the like cutting the finger off came into this discussion. It's funny. I wonder if this is an anxiety thing too, because I was just having this conversation with with some friends where, like you, public speaking, talking on a podcast, things that give a lot of people anxiety. I got nothing. I don't feel any, I was always, I raised my hand as a kid. Like I just, some things I can be blindly like weirdly kind of confident about and just doesn't stress me out at all. But like going to a party where I don't know that many people or like figuring out what to order or like just like some little weird things can cause so much anxiety that someone else would feel when they're stepping on a stage. Yeah. So I wonder if it's like, if that's, Maybe that's just us or... I think it's... Yeah, I think it's very much a personalized... Like, I tend to have... I never thought I had social anxiety because, like, I can talk to a wall. I love Mm -hmm. parties. Like, I love all these things. But, like, what I realized recently is, like, if I go to a meeting or something and, like, there's an awkward situation, like, I think I'm hyper attuned to social awkwardness. So, the perfect example of this is, like, if somebody goes in for a handshake and the other person goes in for the hug, that shit haunts me. I yeah. can name the times that, have yeah. ha- that like that has happened to me over the past five years. Like the people Well, then do you happened. just kind of laugh about it? I and like you make laugh it, about yeah. it, but I will go home and be like, I will viscerally, I will shiver yeah, when same. I think about I can, it. I have that too where I think of like an awkward interaction and just like, oh my God, like, I, can't, no, I, can't, no, I can't, I can't, no, I can't, I can't, I no. can't. Or I will spiral after I have a conversation and I, it's fine. And then I'll go home and I'll be like, did I ask that person yes, enough questions about same. themselves? Was oh. I talking about myself too much? Was that joke inappropriate? Did I swear too Me much? Too. Like I will just spiral in that way, which I which I do not understand and does not exist in my day to day. Like the irony is that like I can talk, say whatever I want on Insta stories, and I will never once again think of that Insta story again. But I like know. I, ha- but like if I'm in a one on one scenario, with interactions, someone, yeah, yeah, or if this person doesn't text me back for a while, well, like yeah, I just did that with a, a very close friend last week. As you know, I was upstate, and I think just because I'm in this kind of tender spot anyway, everything is else is sort of heightened. But a really close friend of mine just didn't text me back for a couple of days. Has a lot of shit going on. 
you would have thought, I was like, I'm going through another breakup at the same time. I, uh, and then she texted me. Everything was fine. And there's like, it was three friends had just like not text. And like, I'm usually fine with that stuff, but just the level it's of It's the level, if you're in a heightened, I was in a heightened anxiety spot a few months ago, right after I turned in my book. And my best friend who's getting married texted me and was like, I got an email from her to all of her bridesmaids being like, when you guys all pick a dress, can you just send it to these two other girls? And like, I am the maid of honor. And I was like, does she hate me? Like, why does she not? Like, why would, she, why would they not send it to me? Which is crazy. Like, yeah, these types of things just, don't matter. Yeah. And I like texted her and I was like, am I like in tr- like trouble? And she was like, no, you hate confrontation. I didn't want people to have to send you dresses. And you had to be like, nope, nope. Like that too many in that color or whatever. She's like, I just, thought you wouldn't want to be involved. I was trying to do you a favor. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I'm in a hypersensitized state. And I thought that you hated me. This is so helpful. (laughs) Hypersensitized state. That's what I'm in right now. Thank you for giving me language. (laughs) Having language for this stuff. Oh my God. It's so helpful. Right now is so helpful. Like I feel like I should be paying you for this session (laughs) because knowing like I'm in a hypersensitized state. No, these two friends that didn't text me back don't hate me. I was just... And they also don't know that you're like, because like I have certain friends who also are anxious or who just know about my anxiety. And I like feel comfortable, like texting them being like, Hey, like you didn't respond to my email. And now I think you're mad at me. And they'll be like, Oh my God. Like, no, like, you know, but but, like, I feel comfortable enough to be like, Hey, 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 I'm super anxious. Can you like talk me off the ledge? And they're like, Oh yeah, everything's fine. And sometimes that's not appropriate with like a work thing. Like how is this person emailed me back? And so you have to like have some social cues that like we have, Yes, but it still feels so I always, my anxiety, I feel right here. It's like chemicals. I, this is what I would always call it to Like a knot. Sometimes nausea. I say it feels like chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> like that's all because I know it, it probably is. But like, yeah, it, it, I just feel the chemicals come. And anyway, that that sense of spiraling after an interaction, like I should have stayed longer. I should have gone earlier. Did I say the right thing? That all of that. Let's just make a commitment right now that we leave. Yes. I leave here, and we're both not gonna. <laughs> we're not spiral gonna do that because I'm already like I've kept her too long. I can't believe it. Oh my, oh my god, god! Oh my god! I'm already spiraling. That I'm like people are gonna be like, wow, she loves to talk about her anxiety. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm bringing this out to you because I think this is. I could talk about it forever, and you just I'm gonna have to say this because I have anxiety right now about how late it is, but. I we're you're gonna have to come back and do the podcast yes, again. Yes. Right. So it's no, fine. I, I didn't get to that. I didn't get to about ninety percent of what I, I wrote like down. <laughs> you guys, yeah, we did not talk about many, many things, but that's good. That's a good thing. I feel like we talked about really important stuff. Yeah, today. I think so too. I want I do want to end with some quick fire. Yes. yes Phoebe I told me I fire. had to ask you about your your love so story oh with Logan, God. which I really do want to ask, but I'm wondering, should I just like no, save no, no. it for the next one? I will give you the short version. I do not believe in like, I'm not like a fate person, Uh but I was living in Paris. My best friend had been laid off and she came to stay with me for two weeks in Paris. She is a friend of Logan's, but I had never met him. We had been, turns out we've gone to like all the same parties and things like over the years and we never met. But he was going to London for work that week and decided to go to Paris for him, like by himself for the weekend. I'm weirdly doing that next week, which we'll talk about. I mean, it's glorious. We'll talk about that. So she was like, my friend Logan is in town. Can we meet him for a drink? And keep in mind, I think I was 23. 
And I remember being super hungover. And I was like, I cannot meet a new person right now. Like, that sounds terrible. And she's like, we'll meet him for a beer. We'll be in and out. Because it was my roommate's birthday that night. And she was like, we have a heart out. We have to go to this birthday party. So we met him for a beer. I thought he was, like, lovely and fun. And whatever. Then we went home. We were like, maybe we'll meet up with you later. Went back to my apartment. And my roommate, Bay was like, to my friend was like, where's your friend? And she was like, oh, we ditched him because it's your birthday. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. I included him in the dinner reservation. You have to call him and have him meet us. And he literally met us at dinner and we've been together ever since. Like that was, that was it. Like we went out that night. We were like, and she was like, looking back, it's hilarious. Like we were out all night, all of us together. And I like, she was like, I looked across like you guys walking across the bridge to Il de la Cite, like holding hands at 2 a.m. And I was like, what the hell is wow. happening? And like, that was it. We dated long distance for a year while I was at Cordon Bleu. And then I came home and moved in with him. And we've been... He's from New York? He's he's from Philly. <laughs> but he's been in New York for, I don't know, 12 years now, I guess. Is he an anxious person? He is not an anxious person. He is the opposite we have the exact same sense of humor and like are so compatible, but are just so opposite in, in so many ways. And I think that we complement each other. So like, he's a total hothead. I'm a people pleaser. Like, he's, you know, I'm super anxious. He's like incredibly pragmatic and like balanced. And it just, I think that we balance each other in so many like necessary ways. Um, but he like, when it comes to anxiety, he has been like a dream in terms of just being silently supportive. But was that a conversation that you had to have? Did was yeah. it ever hard in your relationship? I started talking about it pretty much immediately. Like I was just like, I have pretty serious anxiety. Um, and I think I talked about, you know, I talked about it in the way that we just did where I was like, most days are good days, but this was also early on. So it was like in the first, I think it, we met, shortly after I stopped being on medication, but like I still hadn't gotten a handle on things. So like I wasn't exercising properly. I didn't like have supplements figured out, like things like that. I just was not doing. Also, the thing I failed to mention is like diet is huge for anxiety. So like moderating sugar, caffeine and alcohol is like a huge thing. And I was not doing any of those things in my early 20s. (laughs) So it was a little more out of control, but he was pretty... It wasn't that he was bad at supporting me in the beginning. It just took so much conversation because he would like try to like cuddle me, so to speak, like when I was feeling anxious and I'd be like, and then I would let him because I, I didn't want to be like, please don't touch me. I hate to be touched when I'm anxious. So like finally, like I developed the, I think pretty early on, but like I, once I developed a certain degree of confidence in our relationship and I felt like we were close enough, which happened really fast. Cause we long distance. Like I felt like we were like, it was a throwback dating scenario. We used to, we were, we had a six hour time difference too. So we would make each other's videos pre iPhone, like on iMovie, like record wow. videos and send them to each other at the end of the day and be like, this is what I did today. And like, whatever. Cause he would be asleep. I would be asleep when he got home from work and he would be asleep when I like left for school in the morning. So like it just, we would manage to talk during the day, but like not really. So we would like email and send these videos and we got to know each other really intensely, really fast. So I felt comfortable early on, but I was like, you can't like, 
I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to hurt your feelings and it has nothing to do with you. But like, I cannot be touched when I'm anxious. And like, now he knows that, you know? And like, I'm like, I'm really bad at talking when I'm anxious because it like, yeah, me too. it's like hard. I was like, I can't, I, sometimes I feel like the air is weird or like I can't swallow properly or whatever it is. I just don't have the words. I don't have the words and it's just it. bad. And I, and I just want to be in silence. And so now he'll do things. Sometimes like he'll be like, do you want me to run you a bath? Like something like that. And like, it's just such a simple gesture, but I know that it's like he wants to do something. And so like, that's like incredibly sweet. And I'll be like, I would love for you to run me. Like I can obviously run my own bath, but like, it's like such a wonderful, loving thing to do. Or he'll be like, do you want me to make you your calcium magnesium? Like something if it's that bad, but we had to talk about it where I was like, look, like sometimes like for all we know, like I, we could be in the middle of a super fun dinner and I could all of a sudden flip over and, and just have to, and that was, that was back when it was actually like that all the time. And so like, he was so supportive of it. And now, now it's actually, he's better able to tell me or to like reflect on periods in my life because like, we're too close to it. So sometimes like last month I had a actual panic attack and I was like, I'm panicking and he, and after we're like all was said and done and it had passed and whatever, he's like, he's like, you have, that hasn't happened in years. And it hadn't, you know, but I like, to me, I like, it was so fresh that I was like, this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was yeah. like, no, he's like, that literally hasn't happened in years. Sometimes also like that, to be able to say that, like be like, I haven't had an actual panic attack in yeah. years is like, it feels silly, but it, it felt like very validating to be like, I'm doing something right. And that doesn't mean that if you have panic attacks, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And that's like what I was talking about before. Like sometimes I would look at that as like, oh, like all this work and then, and then plummets. And that's not the case. It's like, not the still, case. You were great. And it doesn't mean you're wrong. No. And it doesn't mean you're wrong. And like, it just, and sometimes for me, like things build up. So I'll be okay. Like when I went on my yeah. book tour, I was like in and out of hotels for like three and a half months and always on a plane and like not really sleeping much. And I was like, okay. And then it all came crashing down. Like it was like my body like reached a point and was like, yes, yes, yes. Fine, fine, fine. No more. And like, yeah. just like gave out. And I was like, oh, that sucks. Now I'm dealing with this. Or like now if I, like I used to be able to like party now I like cannot party. Like, <laughs> like if I go to like, I went to Vegas two weeks ago and like literally almost died last week. Like I was just like, I'm old and I'm anxious. So like, this is not going to sit like, you can't do shots until three in the morning and like expect to like be a normal human this week. And so like, I know those things and that's not somebody phrased it when I, I talked about this last week on Instagram being like, I went to Vegas and I like, was a human trash can. And like, they were like, you shouldn't say that like, this is your punishment and you deserve it. I was like, that's not what I'm saying. And I, I wanted to clarify that. I was like, that's not what I'm saying at all. I don't believe I deserve this anxiety or that it's a punishment for quote unquote bad behavior. What I'm saying is that I've now been anxious for s- so many years that I can look at things objectively and just be like, okay, today you're feeling anxious for no reason. But like last week, I was like, today you are feeling anxious because you drank a bottle of tequila this weekend, slept for like a cumulative six hours (laughs) and have been on two cross country flights. Like that is why you're feeling anxious. And sometimes that's comforting. And sometimes it's just like, well, fuck, you know, like (laughs) it is what it is. And like I and the truth is, is like 
I actually don't have any regrets. Like sometimes when I have anxiety, I'm like, oh, I could have done this differently. But I'm like, you had so much fun when you were doing it. And same Mm -hmm. thing. It's like, I do not regret going on my book tour because it ended in like a whirlwind of anxiety. Like it was a wonderful life. I think it's about mindfulness. I find that if I'm, if I'm present when I'm doing something and this is what I wanted to do, Mm -hmm. even if it causes me to feel bad after it's fine but if I was like rushing and feeling anxious during and so I missed it it's like I wasn't even there when it was happening that's a whole other like seven hour conversation though is like the difficulty I have with living in the present and I feel like especially in the in the social media age it is we are always posting things about something that has happened in the past or is happening in the future and if we are posting something that is in the moment, then we are missing that moment anyway. So like, it's so difficult to be fully present. And that's why like, you know, when I say that you only see six and a half minutes of my day and like the crazy number of Insta stories, I'm very grateful for that because like, I'm not, well, while I am fully me in those six and a half minutes, it is not like my quote unquote real life. Like, that's what happens when I'm not on my phone. So yeah. I don't know. It's a trade-off. I want to talk more about anxiety and relationships, but I'd like to do an entire yes, episode yes, about yes, this. Yes, so yes. I'm going to hold it in. <laughs> and there's so many other... We didn't talk about New York. We didn't talk about art. But let's let's just know that you're going to come back so yes. I can feel less yes. anxious. That'd be helpful for me. Oh, there's so many, ways, so many things I want to ask you. I might just save this, but... Okay, I'll just ask this one thing. Does anxiety affect your decision-making at all? No, I think that certain decisions can trigger anxiety, but I do not actually feel that my anxiety has, for example, in like when I was talking about being very anxious about doing this demo, Mm -hmm. I had a tiny moment where I was like, just say no. You're two months from your book deadline. This is giving you a weird amount of undue anxiety. Like, just turn it down, whatever. And that lasted, that was like literally the amount of time that that thought process lasted in my brain. I said, don't do it. And then I was like, no, you're just say this is a great opportunity. You're just saying no because of your anxiety. So sometimes I will recognize the anxiety is there and has the ability to affect the decision, but I don't actually think my anxiety has ever determined my decision. Yeah. That's interesting. It's so different for everyone because I get so, yeah. so anxious about decisions. Like that's a big No, and like I d- had to decide on my book cover. Well, I'm currently still deciding on it, but like we've been going through different drafts for the past week and like I've been the amount of anxiety that choosing choosing what my book will look like for all eternity yeah. like you can't change that, that. Yeah. But that's almost that's almost more of a stressful decision right. for me. So I'm able to separate it out. But I think that the only decisions that I think are affected by my anxiety is is actually sometimes in relationships. It's like, if I do this, will this person be mad at me or will this relationship become awkward? So actually, I, I will qualify that statement by saying that I do think that anxiety occasionally in relational decisions has an impact, yeah. but not in professional decisions. Yeah. yeah. Is there any art that helps with anxiety that you want? Usually this is a time where people recommend art that helps them. So any books or TV or just things you want to recommend or things that help you specifically with that? I'm somebody weirdly that doesn't, this is such a 
layered question. Like I love talking about anxiety. Like I feel like this conversation has been so cathartic in so many ways, but I do not like to consume any anxiety content. So like, I do not like to read books about anxiety or it's kind of like fear breeds fear. Yes. 100%. I just don't like to focus on anxiety and especially because like the only time I would be able to read an anxiety book or do like an adult coloring book or something is like when I was not feeling anxious. And then I would be like, why would I fill my yeah. not anxious time with thoughts about anxiety? For sure. <laughs> so I think yeah. my biggest thing, like I said earlier, the reading has been such a huge thing for me. And I'm somebody who alternates between good quote unquote good books and like medium trashy novels. Like I just read one day in December. It's like such a great medium trashy love story. And like it turns my brain off in a way that is like only yoga does for me. Mm. Like it just is so soothing to read a story. And sometimes I listen to Harry Potter on tape. Does TV, <laughs> do TV and movies help you turn your brain no, off that way too? No, because for whatever reason, I am still able to, I call it mind racing, but like I am still able to think about so many different things when I'm watching TV or a movie. Whereas if I'm reading, I have to pay attention. Yeah. I feel that way about reading too. And also I feel the same way about TV and movies, but going to the movies. Oh, I really love going to me. the movies. Yeah, we yes. should go together. Yes, I would love that. Yeah. I also find cooking for pleasure, not for work, which is rare for me. Cooking and like listening to a story podcast, not necessarily, not like an interview, mm-hmm. but like a, like I listen to like the Heaven's Gate podcast, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like things like that, that are a story that I'm following while I'm cooking is like a beautiful thing for my anxiety. Yeah. I find that not with cooking because I don't cook yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. But with walking. Yes. Yes. And sometimes I will just walk and listen to music. Mm-hmm. And like, yep. that's a great, and like we've gotten, like I've never been like a jazz person, but like, <laughs> Bug and I have started like listening to like, like soul or even like 40s like music. Yeah. Oh, you would love where I was this weekend. And like, it makes me, that makes me, that I find very calming just to like have in the background. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite thing to, favorite place to cry is walking and listening to music (laughs) around New York City. It's like so much less sad than alone in my room. It's like less scary because it's like I'm out in the world and like if I really need something, it's it's right here. I find a good cry. I used to not be a crier. My mom also said I never cried as a child, which I think is like a very telling thing. And I never cried like through a lot of high school and college. And like now I am just a crier and I feel like it is such an amazing release. And I cry at everything. I cry watching the news. I'll cry hearing something happy. I cry like when I see a puppy on the street. It's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. (laughs) It feels like you're really in touch with your emotions because I I cried a lot as a child. (laughs) I had a lot of like um, meltdowns. (laughs) But then like as an adult, I didn't cry for like five years. And it was something I was working on with my therapist, like when I started working with my current therapist who I've been with for a long time. And she was just like, you think your feelings, you're not in your body physically feeling your feelings. And so her whole thing was like to get me back in my body feeling. Yeah. And I had, you know, tried to do that and, you know, thought I was kind of doing that. And then this big 
thing 2019 hit of like my whole life, what I thought it was going to be was different. And it's, there's been so much richness to it, which has been getting me back in my body because now I, I do cry and I am feeling, and this is kind of, this makes me kind of scared to say it loud, but some, I usually only cry over things that affect me, which is like- Interesting. Yeah, which sounds really narcissistic and like kind of- I don't think of, that's Kind of bad, but it's like, if I feel like I hurt someone's feelings and they're mad at me, yes. I cry. If I feel like, if I'm embarrassed, I cry. If I'm angry, I cry. And that was like really hard for me in my relationship because my reaction would always be bigger than his reaction because- I would cry, you know, yeah. and then he would be like, well, now I have to come for you because I was the one upset, you know, <laughs> but, and that was like really hard. And so I'm trying to control that dial. But now that I'm crying over, I'm back in my body, like feeling and I'm yeah. not, everything was kind of dulled, you know, I'm feeling like, oh, well now I can cry. Like my friend told me that like her relationship was ending. And I, of course I made that a bit about, that was a mirror of my <laughs> stuff too. I mean, but however, I cried real tears over that. So I'm just thinking like, yeah, I don't know. I, I found it really admirable how when people can cry over everything. It's a very, I do think that I've been, it's also made me feel so much more like happiness and joy when I actually feel those things. Like being able to like connect to the shitty things has made me feel more connected to my happiness as well. Yeah. It's like, I get to like, it's, it applies to all the feelings on the spectrum, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. And that's what we were saying about when you were on the medication, it kind of dealt all of it. Yeah. Which was the, like the ickiest feeling. And I think for me, like I have a similar thing, like my, my eating disorder kind of does all of yeah. it. Like when I put my addiction towards some people, it's, it's drugs. Some people it's alcohol. Some people it's control. Like for me, it's like control and you know, the highs I feel from that it dulls the happy and the sad. And that's something I'm learning in therapy now. It's less therapy. Yeah. This is so <laughs> this 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 podcast is sponsored by therapy. Talks, it's really not, but open to it. Thank you so much. Oh, I didn't ask you about me. 90% of the things I should have asked you about and feel I, I'm feeling no. so much anxiety. Like, we didn't talk about your amazing book oh and your next God. book, but no, do I'm not gonna come back ridiculous. over. This was the best. Yes, you're welcome anytime. I, I think this was actually a really important, vulnerable conversation. I, I feel agree. closer to you. I, I know. And, I'm like, please don't leave me now. <laughs> yeah. And I just anyway, I usually ask if there's anything that you wish I would have asked that you never get to talk about, but I'm no, gonna come feel, back. So yes, that might not you're be relevant. Back, so that's irrelevant. And I also feel like, honestly, at the end of pretty much any other podcast I've ever done, if like, sorry for the sirens, <laughs> they had ever asked me, like, is there anything that you wish you would have been asked about? I would probably have said my anxiety. So this is the podcast that I got to let talk it out. About. Yeah, that I got to let it out. Seriously. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I, I think thank you're the best. You. I love you. You're the best. We always end with something sort of weird, but I think you'll be into it. <laughs> Um, I also like threw yeah, my like, computer. Do I at take you. the computer. Um, yes, you take the computer now. No, we do a deep breath together, which is always oh, good for yes. us anxious folk and everyone else. <laughs> I love that. Okay, ready? Yes. Inhale. Let it out. <sighs> a little bit lighter, right? It's very fun. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Serena's a delight, isn't she? I mean, I really enjoy her, and I'm sure you enjoyed this episode as well. It was a long one, so I'm going to leave you here. No likes and learns this week, 
but I will be back very soon. And in the meantime, make sure you're signed up for the Let It Out letter. Let It Out letter. Yeah, that's what it's called. It's my newsletter that I send out every once in a while. It's a bunch of links from around the internet, as well as a personal essay of sorts for me. And make sure you check out everything Serena does. Buy her books. Definitely follow her on Instagram. Cook with her, maybe. I mean, honestly, I don't, but I like watching her cook. So maybe just do that. And, you know, if you have the chance, become her friend because she's a delight. And you can easily be friends with her on the internet. Okay. I will hopefully see you guys very soon. Again, all the information for my events that I'm doing this month will be on my website, on the events page, or in the show notes. But I'll just tell you briefly, I'm doing a journaling workshop with my friend Mallory Minks at The Class. The class is this exercise class I'm very into. And yeah, it's going to be a blast. It's on April 13th. It's a Saturday. Should be really fun. Workout and journal and feel feelings. And oh, I'm going to, I haven't even asked Mallory this yet, but I'm going to be able to influence the playlist, which I'm really excited about. Like I'm going to put some good music in there. It's going to be great. Also, I will be leading a panel about organization and sustainability on April 18th. And then I'm going to Austin, Texas and doing an event with my friend Abby, who's done this podcast before. That should be pretty fun. And then I'm doing a live podcast recording at The Assemblage on April 29th, which is the day before my birthday. So I'd love to see you there. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Cured Nutrition, which is a holistic supplement company based in Boulder, Colorado. They're an organic hemp-derived CBD product line that you might already be familiar with, but they make full-spectrum nibbles and tinctures and treats that work with your body's natural system to produce clear benefits without the worry of a psychoactive component. They are one of the best companies that makes CBD. I really, really think I love the people who make it. They have a farm to table business model and CBD is most commonly incorporated into wellness regimens to improve sleep and decrease inflammation and stress on the body. And the founder of this company actually started using the raw oil to help his puppy who was having really intense stress and anxiety and seizures. So these are products that work for your furry friends too. They have this cookie dough snack that I particularly love. And I just, I really love this company. And I think if you haven't checked out CBD yet, I think that you would really like this company and you can get a discount. When you use the code let it out, it's good for 15% off your order. Again, that's let it out for 15% off your order. Thank you so much, Cured. All right. I will talk to you guys soon. If you are on Instagram, we should be friends. I'm at Katie Dalebout, and I bring that up because I'm about to give you the emoji for this week's episode. It's the pizza as well at the slice. I think that's the only type of pizza there is, is by the slice (laughs) in terms of emojis. And also the crown, because a couple of reasons. It was just Serena's birthday, so she was the birthday princess, and she loves pizza. It's a thing that she eats every Sunday. And I think that you should comment the pizza emoji 
with the crown emoji on her Instagram right now to let her know you listened all the way to the bitter end and comment that on my Instagram as well. Tweet it at us, whatever you feel most comfortable with social media wise. I love you. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend, share it with someone who's anxious. Maybe, you know, it'll help them in some way or it will entertain them or they'll find it useful, but definitely share it if you found it useful. And also, maybe you want to leave a review on iTunes. That'd be cool. I would be very grateful. Again, I've been doing this forever and I'm so happy that this podcast exists because it's brought together a really cool community. So if you want to meet more people who listen to the podcast, the best way to do that is to join our Patreon page where I'll be putting out content in between now and when we talk again on this podcast or also in the listener Facebook group. So I'll talk to you guys there. Have a great couple of weeks and I'll see you soon.